a world filled with fast-paced living and constant demands on the aging body, it's easy to forget some of the simplest yet most essential elements of our well-being, hydration and nutrients. As you know, when I'm not in the studio recording a podcast or in the gym or out in the scrub hunting, putting rounds downrange, I'm somewhere in the world on a security gig, putting in the hard yards, ending up on TikTok. So legends that get some, keep me advancing forward, Jocko Fuel Supplements. More specifically, I've been smashing the Jocko Hydrate Sachets, which helps me replenish my electrolytes and other critical vitamins while boosting energy and supporting recovery. Also, just like my kids, my appetite for veggies goes as far as hot chips from the kernel. However, every morning I'll mix a scoop of Jocko Greens, Jocko Creatine into water, which helps me supplement my lack of and delivers all the nutrients for better gut health, immune support, cognitive function, and physical performance. And not to mention, tastes bloody good. So head over to www.getsome.com.au and use the code Zero Limits all in caps for a discount. I'll leave you with this for the day. Hard work, clean fuel, stronger, faster, smarter, better. Let's go. It's time for the Zero Limits Podcast, hosted by Australian veterans. Chatting with high-charging humans with hectic stories from around the world. We'll give you the motivation to take on whatever life throws at you and the kick to complete any goal you set your mind to. Let's go. All right, Zero Limits listeners, on today's Zero Limits podcast, I've got a very special guest all the way from the UAE. He uh, spent a lot of time in the 2nd Battalion, not a bad battalion. The third battalion's <laughs> much better, much better. He, as I said, he spent a lot of time in the second battalion and made his uh, way up to becoming a sniper, which is one of those things back in the day, you know, all they did was sneak around the bush and shit and glad wrap and piss and bottles. True, can't confirm. <laughs> can't confirm. <laughs> Carl Fabrischi. Is that, is, did I say it right? Fabrischi. Close, mate, close. Carl Fabreski. But uh, yeah, Fabreski. thanks for having me, mate. Yeah, You're well, not the, uh, the first close. to get that. A bit prickly, and you won't, probably won't be the last, but cheers for having me. <laughs> no, I appreciate you coming on, mate. You know, we've been talking for a fair while now and just figuring out dates. Obviously, you're in the UAE, and I'm here, and dates never lined up, and you are the founder of the Coral Sea Rating Company as well, which is uh, on Instagram, and I think a lot of people, a lot of it, my listeners will be familiar with, with the brand. Yeah, so I'd say, I suppose that's how it's come to pass that you and I are talking, Matty, that CSRC, the, the Instagram front there, that was kind of something I started post-leaving Defence. Um, and, you know, as you know, Instagram is probably a good way. You can do a lot of networking for the good if you choose to. There's lots of downsides to it as well. Um, but, yeah, starting CSRC there is kind of what let me reach out. And I think I first came to know about uh, yourself and the work you guys are doing here through, I think, when Rob Langdon. Yeah. Actually, when he yep. was reaching out and he he did some really good work. He, he donated a design to us that we ended up um, uh, selling off for charity there. And then I listened to his podcast that he wanted with you guys, and that was red hot as well. So uh, a shout out to Rob, first of all, for donating that and being a absolute mad lad and helping us out there. And also to our Brothers and Books, another quick shout out, I suppose, and that helped them out with their charity. Yeah. Yeah, mate. Dylan's, Dylan uh, Conway. Not bad for an officer, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, not too shabby. Not too shabby. <laughs> yeah, mate. As a... Um... 
Yeah, Rob for sure, mate. Rob's uh, he it was an outstanding fucking story that Rob had. Uh, fuck knows how crazy. Yeah, yeah nuts. Oh, fuck, you <laughs> can't imagine it. But uh, mate, let's let's find out who you are prior to the military. So let's run back to the young Carl days, just cruising around and just being a little delinquent. How were you, mate? Like were you were you good at school? And how was your family? Did you have uh, sisters? Sh- yeah. So oh, I'll try and keep it keep it short here, but um. I suppose I remember as a kid, my old man was in uh, he was in one commando at the time, so like reserve commando. Oh, was he? Yeah, pre, right. Yeah, this is pre you know four area and the existence of a, a permanent commando unit. So this is late eighties, early nineties. Um, so I remember those photos, and you know I'm a kid and we're stacked out with the the guns and they used to do the open days, all that sort of stuff. And I remember that, so that probably had an influence later on on my decision to uh, join the military for sure. Um, going back further, yeah, I do have a history of I suppose service in the military. But not probably a little different one because obviously my, my surname Fabreski, it's uh, an Italian side there. Neither of my parents were born in Australia, yep. and yeah, my granddad he fought in World War Two, but he was fighting the bombs in North Africa <laughs> for the I thighs. So, yeah. <laughs> bit of a weird one there, you know, having your, your grandparents part of the old axis of evil back in the day for World War Two. Uh, but yeah, not long after that, he he jumped ship. Obviously, came to Australia, uh, immigrated here not long after my dad was born. So my dad was born in Italy. And then they moved over here in, um, I suppose, the early 50s and kind of pressed uh, or abandoned the motherland, abandoned Italy and came over here and started a whole new life in Australia, as many as many of the blogs did back then. Yeah, that's it. And they all started uh, bricklaying companies and yeah, exactly. <laughs> dialing companies. <Exactly. laughs> yep, yep. All went up to Ingham and opened farms and whatnot, all this sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, right, mate. And uh, schooling. Sorry, where, where did you grow up in Australia? So I moved around quite a bit. Um, I was born in Sydney originally. Mm. Uh, I moved to uh, Coffs Harbour, so always in New South Wales, but Coffs Harbour up on, um, I don't know what that is, mid-New South Wales, I guess, on the yeah, coast. Yeah, mid-north, yeah. And then did a bunch of schooling there, probably most of my primary schooling. Uh, and it, there was an interesting, weird, this is more a take on, like I suppose, Australian culture in the 90s, but there was a weird thing I remember happening because Coffs Harbour is a surfy little coastal town, quite nice, quite picturesque. And as a kid, I was, I was going to the beach a lot and just bodyboarding, stuff like that, being a little, what do they call it, skeg or whatever it was. But not long after uh, I was coming up to just high school, I think one more year primary, we moved to, uh, to Wollongong, to the Gong. So this is my parents chasing work around. And uh, when I got to the Gong was the first time I noticed any sort of cultural divide, I suppose you'd say, because I remember there was there was this thing with the wogs and the skips. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was, a, if, if you grew up. Oh, it was ev- everywhere, man. Every, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. What year did you- sorry? I think it depended where you were. What year were you, are we talking here, like 90s, early 90s? Uh, mate, I, f- I couldn't tell you. I think that would have been like year five. Or year how, six, how old are like you? The last year of primary school. How old are you? 37. 30, yeah, so we're similar. Yeah, 1985. Yeah. yeah, it would be about the same. Yeah, 84, yeah. So yeah, we're I remember similar. moving from what was like a very just- I suppose, Australian town in a or culturally Australian town in Coffs Harbour to Wollongong. And I remember arriving at the school and this kid comes up to me and he's, he's talking in this weird accent and he's, Fabreski, bro, you're a wog. Man, you're a wog. You're going to join us. You're going with the skips. I was like, what, what's a skip? What's a wog, man? What are you talking about? So you're Italian, I am. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am. Are we Australian? Like, no, no, you've got to pick a side, bro. Here it's wogs or skips. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and so that was a weird, like, internal Australia culture shock, just moving from, I suppose, a smaller town in yeah. uh, Coffs Harbour then to Wollongong, which was a bit more, um, I suppose, culturally diverse. That was a funny one down there. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> so obviously you get into school and then there's uh, obviously that, that multiculturalism uh, down in the gong. How is this? How was your schooling? Were you uh, 
Straight A student or just the rat bag like the rest of us? Uh, no, nah, I, I don't know. I wasn't going to say I was a straight A. Um, I don't know, mate. I, I liked. I liked. Uh, I did music for a bit actually. So I was a bit of a music nerd at one point there. Yeah, right. So I was bashing away on drums, and I think uh, later on in my high school, once I moved back to Sydney, um, we're in kind of the bandy crew there. So I was banging away on the drums. I wasn't ever very good. You know, it was fun for a time. Did a few some of the Battle of the Bands and all this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of the scene. I was involved in punk rock. Was all the rage, mate. Blink One Eight Two. It was, wasn't it? Blink One Eight Two. All that sort of kit, law. Yeah. Friends with Rom. Oh, mate, you under there? We go, man. A culture. Yeah, hell yeah. Didn't yeah. Throw that one out. Yeah, right, unwritten yeah. law. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the early thousands kind of punk rock scene, and that was big as well. Up, uh, I didn't live there. But, you know, Central Coast and Newcastle. Yeah. Um, like where you are now. That's what's had a big scene in uh in punk rock and uh. I think also grunge, but metal's probably the word, like Silverchair from Newcastle. Well, that's exactly right, mate. Yeah, yeah. It was the first CD, first CD I ever bought was Silverchair. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Frogstock, right? Would have been Frogstock. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> now, as you said, you moved for high school. You went. You moved to Sydney, did you? Moved back yeah, to so I moved back to Sydney to finish high school, and it was from Sydney then when I um I enlisted in defence not long after high school. So that was up near, uh, near, near Hornsby there, like North Sydney yep. area. Um, so finished, I think, the last – because I did half the high school in Wollongong and then finished like the other half in, in Sydney up there. Whereabouts in and, Sydney? Um, towards the end of that, uh, so that was up near Hornsby. Okay, was, uh, yeah, gotcha. St. Leo's, mate, bloody Catholic schools. You can't escape them in Sydney. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so not long after that was when I uh, joined up and pretty much joined straight after the military, but there was actually a delay at the time because it was – um. It was chockers, chockers trying to get into infantry. Yeah, mate. I experienced the same thing when I joined in two thousand three. There was no space in uh, infantry. I could go chockers, but I couldn't go full time. True. Yeah. I think Singo, so I think, uh, Singo at that stage was just fucking jammed because every cunt Iraq was going on and fucking Afghan 100%. was kicking off, and everyone's like, "Fuck, 100%. we're going to war and killing everyone." So yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose you and I would have both been products of, I guess. And you know, cringe term, but global war on terror era. Yeah, uh, in, you know, we we would be in high school when we saw September 11 occur, and it was even for Australians kind of a you know significant enough event that it prompted a lot of people to question, what can I do about this? Is service for the country something that's going to, you know, what can I do? You know, that feeling that everyone was going through around the same time. I dare say you would have had. Mm. Um, so yeah, there was bloody queues out the door to join cause like infantry back then i'd say yeah exactly and then obviously your old boy was uh you know from one uh as in the commando side of things so that probably gave you that uh you know that that spark i guess and that information on the military yeah for sure mate um so him being you know he was he was a war dog like even though it was just reserves at the time still commando reserves but um still reserves but yeah we'd go he'd take us out shooting quite a bit which is quite nice Again, the Wog family links. There's all these uh, farmers over the other side of the Blue Mountains with weird Italian names you can't pronounce. So <laughs> he'd take me and um, my brothers and sister out there quite a bit and we'd get to do a bit of hunting, shooting. And that probably helped link into where I started getting maybe a bit of an idea that, hey, this sniping stuff looks pretty cool. I like the idea of these guns with the scopes on them that can shoot pretty far and sneaking around. So uh, it was fortunate upbringing in that way, mate. But, yeah, he got us involved in shooting reasonably early, especially considering, you know, in Sydney, or any big, I suppose, metropolitan city upbringing, it's not necessarily that that easy to be involved in, you know, in firearms culture. I suppose, as an Australian, as as yeah. you know, our laws are so fucking strict that um, it's tricky. Yeah, oh, fuck, mate, you can't even have uh, gel blasters in New South Wales. 
<laughs> oh, they banned him finally, did they? Oh, mate. Then Nerf, gun, Nerf guns will be next. Oh, true. Save That's the ants. Nuts, Save the ants. Save the ants, yeah. <laughs> now, mate, so obviously you leave high school and, well, you got a couple of years before you join up. So what are you doing? Did you get, did you get a job somewhere? Yeah, I was just bumming around, mate. I worked at our Franklin's Taramara for a year. <laughs> just, that's the job. You know, you get a high Fucking school Fucking Franklin's. Those dudes work it. Yeah, remember that? Yeah. Fu- <laughs> yeah, right. Fuck doesn't exist <laughs> going back a while. <laughs> Most blokes are working at Macca's or uh, what was the other one? Heaps of people from school used to work at Target. Target, Target or Kmart. Yeah. yeah. But no, nah, mate, I had, I had Franklin's Taramara to tide me over. So I was just doing that for about a year after uh, high school and then waiting for that call to finally um, get called up for uh, – uh, infantry, infantry, infantry. Yeah, right. I think, like you said, there were other options. Like I could have. Yeah, I think like engineers had free spots. Yeah, whenever. engineers. I think there was. Um, they wanted truck drivers and armored corps. Yeah, yeah. There were a few other options that could have got me in quicker, but I I'd pretty well decided on. Yeah, on infantry by that point. So I was happy to. I was happy to wait it out, knowing it would have only been about a year. And it was exactly that almost. Yeah. Well, mate, there's there is no other call. Everyone revol- revolves around the infantry. Hundos, mate. Hundos percent. <laughs> so, mate, <laughs> you remember that. <laughs> so, obviously, you, you do your enlistment and then you're shipped down to Kapuka, mate. How was that? And how was your old boy? Was he fucking pretty ecstatic that obviously you, you've, you know, following on with the family traditions of the military and going yeah, full time? Yeah, um, fortunately, I had, a, I had a really good you know, support from pretty much the, the family as a whole, um, even, the, even the Italian sides there, even though they – you know, he fought for the <laughs> the opposite team back in World War Two, but they were all super <laughs> proud because even though he was one of those hard timey, like a lot of I guess World War Two yeah. vets, yeah. you know, most of us remember from as our grandparents or great uncles or whatever. You know, they never really talk about it much, and uh, they just give you like little little grins and knowing looks and that sort of thing. But yeah, could tell he even he was pretty chuffed with it. So uh, it's it's important, I think, mate, as you know, to um that your family supports your decisions exactly, especially when it's something like the military. So. No, I was very fortunate that I had pretty much overwhelming support from both my close and extended family. Um, so it's good, mate. I think it's super important. Yeah, mate. So you shipped down to uh, Kapuka May two thousand five. How did you go? How'd you find it? Coming from Franklin's, oh, mate, bloody <laughs> from Franklin's. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a bit of a shift up, mate. Um, oh, look, it's that fucking long ago. I doubt you'd probably remember it about as much as I do, mate. It's um. It's it's what you expect, I suppose. Again, having 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 dad had been in the military, it wasn't as much of a shock. And being an avid war film aficionado, you know, when you're expecting Full Metal Jacket, and then it turns out it's not quite Full Metal Jacket <laughs> at all in any way, then you're like, this isn't too shabby at all. <laughs> yeah, there's no one blowing their brains out in the locker room with M14s, and I don't have Sergeant Hartman shrieking at me like <laughs> Private Paul. <laughs> yeah, probably. Oh, fucking few of those. I remember actually. at one point because I think it, at that time they were doing um, it was half and half. I'm not sure it was the same when you did it, but you did half of your recruit training with uh, a separate set of instructors to your other half. And I think this was because the chocos would do the first six weeks, and then all the full timers would go on and do another six weeks. Yeah, right. Yeah, it no, might have it cha- just no, it changed. Yeah, I did yeah, Puka okay. in 2003, so it, uh, it changed like over that first. I think from like 2000 through to 2005, 2006, it changed like. It was chopping and changing every year. I think, obviously, they were just figuring it all out. Yeah, gotcha. I think um, someone on that knows more about but it. But I remember there, there was a distinct, there was a distinct different in the instructors. So the first batch of instructors were were uh, were not arms corps. There was even one of them was a choco. And then the second half, they were all they were all infantry dudes. And at the time, you know, these guys would have come off, um, 
interfered on Tayette, maybe even, yeah, the first set did, I think, would have gone in by then because the right was 2003, yeah. obviously, yep. that kicked off. Because <laughs> I remember the first half was pretty PC, like they were pretty guarded. No one really was was swearing or carrying on too much. They were to a degree, but it wasn't wasn't really in your face. And then I remember the second they handed us over to these other guys, and um, I'll never forget it was a uh, it was a dude. I won't say who because I don't know him that well. But it was a, it was a two RAR then corporal, obviously doing his time as instructing, and they literally just picked us up from this other the other staff, and we we're marching then from like the old building to the new building. And everything had been reasonably PC up until that point, as I'd said. And, and then all of a sudden, we're just marching along and this step, just this dude just out of nowhere from the back belts out this massive fucking hold step, you group of fucking dopey, retarded cunts, <laughs> expletive laden fucking streak. And I was like, oh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is the real deal now. We've yeah. got, the fucking, we got the infantry instructors that are holding back. You fucking <laughs> You dullard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah, so obviously you get those infantry instructors. How many How many guys you got uh, as in uh, recruits that are infantry? Oh, fuck. I couldn't tell you, mate. It was a long, long, long time. Yeah, I don't think there was that many at the time, I guess, because it was so full and there were so many of us waiting. Uh, I'd say I put it this way. I think from the from the, the Kapuka crowd that went on to SOI, there was probably, I'd say, less than um less than 20 of us in that like Kapuka platoon. And mm. then obviously at SOI, they pull you for a week or two until you get enough to start a, a new um SOI session there. Because I remember that happening when we first rocked up there to uh, to Singleton. Um, so yeah, not many, mate. Probably probably twenty or so. Yeah, right. But so, then I think the the inf- what are the the platoons there at SOI are pretty big from memory. I think you because oh, you're working in like twelve man sections or so. So I they're can't pushing remember. like I can't remember. Yeah. So yeah, obviously forty. You finish uh, Kapuga, do your march out. Parents, your parents come down. Uh yes, they did. They did. They did. Yeah, yeah not too shabby, mate. Again, I remember uh bloody non 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 the Italian side. They were down there. Oh yeah. Um. So, yep, they shuffled on down, got their got, got the Italians out of Sydney for for a change. They came down to Wagga Wagga, freaking out about all the kangaroos. Um, but no, good again, good mate, just really good family support. Um, no real, I guess, issues there at all. You know, it's yeah, it's it's a pleasing thing to have. That's awesome, mate. And then obviously, yep, uh, on the bus up to Sunny Singleton, the school of cool. Delightful, eh? Mate, it's just, it's one of those places, isn't it? It doesn't matter just changes. when you go there. Yeah, or like all the circumstances that you go there in. It could be years later as an instructor. Yeah. It could be visiting for a course. It could be whatever. There's that depresso espresso state when you're driving up that Range Road there, mate. You'd know the feeling, right? You'd know oh, no, exactly what it's fucking like. <laughs> so you get this to go, yeah. mate. And then uh, obviously uh, we're focusing on uh, IETs now, specific for infantry tactics. How did you find that from transitioning from Kapuga, you know, folding fucking handkerchiefs to four square centimetres to, you know, getting your fucking lockers upturned and, you know, infantry tactics as well? Loved it. Yeah. I mean, reflecting on it then, I think it's, I think it was a pretty good program at the time in terms of what they, working with what they knew and what was going on. So again, 2005, I suppose. Um, the the war on terror as we know it now in, in hindsight hadn't really kicked off. So mm. yeah, they'd gone into Afghanistan obviously 2001, but we didn't have regular troops there doing doing counterinsurgency stuff like we went on to do for as you know for the next you know whatever the fuck it was 15 years. Um, so um, yeah, the field craft and all the the tactics I think was pretty dialed in in terms of it was still linked very much to and everyone complains about it like 
it's all Vietnam, all Vietnam shit, all Vietnam shit. But it's one thing about us, especially at that time, I'd say we we did green to champagne field craft pretty well, even at a training establishment. Yeah. Like if I'm if I look back and kind of uh, critique it, I suppose. Um, and it would have been the same when you did it as well. Uh, the Timor vet generation of guys probably yeah. helped a lot with this as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It, um, it, it's just funny you say that because it would be really interesting. I'd love to even go through now just to experience what they experience now at Singo because it's such a different – it's a different ball game. It is. You, it you've, is. you've seen – you've probably yeah. seen it on Instagram. You know, you get all those photos from the School of Cool and they're doing all this tactical shooting. They got all this fucking yeah. Gucci kit and fuck, back in the day we were rocking the H harness and just – Busting in the backs <laughs> of shitty packs. And yeah, mate, Slytherin, get down in your guts, crawl, 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 you know, don't get up. That's it, yeah, everything guts. was crawling. Um, yeah, look, without getting too far ahead of the, the sequence here, but uh, I'd still say, though, even though it is very different, again, the School of Infantry program, it is it is pretty red hot, mate. Like I remember when I was many years later instructing there and looking at the, I guess, the courses or the components that these guys go through, it's, it's pretty fucking effective, man. Like they come out at the other end of that. Mm. And I think it's massive now as well. I want to say it's like 15 or 16 weeks, huge. Yeah. Um, they come out at the end of that pretty deadly, man. Like they have a, a good set of little sub skills that they, look, they're probably not experts at it, but that they've even had the introduction. And then as you know, it's the red, ready to lay more on top of the foundations once they get to the unit. Um, so yeah, changes. I still think it's very good though. I'd say it was good then and it's it's good now, just different. Yeah, right. And obviously at this stage while you're down at Singer, you get your preferences to go to a battalion and fuck, you chose two RR. So. I did, mate. Much to your <laughs> where, where, was, was there any other choices? Uh, look, mate, I will confess. I think three R would have been my Oh, well, look, there you go. There. It was uh, two, three. There mate, you go. I'll concede that. We could have served together. Um, yeah, <laughs> you could have been cool like know. me with wings. <laughs> <laughs> I missed out. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that too, mate, because I remember – at the time, there was there was this weird, I'm not sure if rumor is the right word for it, just this understanding, this unspoken kind of rule. So everyone knew three hour was able, and that was yeah. a surprise. Um, and then there was this other thing that oh, obviously it was five seven. There was no five and seven. It was just five seven, but they were mech. Everyone knew that. Yeah, yeah. There was six hour. They were Brisbane. They were motorized. So I mean, this is sort of pre PMVs or just integrated PMVs. So it was, yeah, it was six Bs really. Like yeah. so Brisbane, That's, yeah. Got uh, six hour. I got to drive around in cars. I was like, okay, cool. And then in Townsville, you had one and two, and one hour was seen as like the champagne light infantry unit. Like all they did was, yeah. again, this was just the weird rumor that was floating around. All they did was dismounted stuff. And two hour was air mobile. I remember hearing this nonstop, like air mobile, air mobile. I was like, that sounds sick as well. Fucking yeah. helicopters. And combined with that, there was a photo that I remember seeing from um, uh, I, could, I couldn't tell you it was Interfed or Unted, like which which year of Timor it was, but it's this iconic photo of these two RR guys, like in Timor somewhere kneeling down. There's a, there's a black hawk like flaring yeah. behind him. There's grass and shit blowing everywhere. They've all got shaved heads and bayonets on their on their kit. Like it looks <laughs> sick. And I remember seeing that and being like, I want me some of this. This Air Mobile sounds sounds red hot. <laughs> Ripped off. And then you get to Townsville and you fucking the first thing we did was was like a six weeks exercise in in buckets. Yeah. <laughs> in APCs with three four cav. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> oh, the five seven did this. What up? Where's the helicopter? This is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Sold. Fucking. They gotcha. The marketing ploy gotcha. Classic, mate. Yeah. So, um, again, mate, uh, family down to uh, up, actually up to Singo, come see you for March uh, out. Yeah, mate, they came up. I don't think everyone. Um, oh, look, without getting too too close into like personal family stuff. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Some time just before I joined up, like my parents had separated. Yeah, yeah. So my family was a bit scattered. 
um, to the winds because I had uh, my mum at that point back in Sweden and with her had my gone my younger two younger brothers and sister. Oh yeah. So right. they went back to Sweden and pretty much finished um all their schooling and all over that because they're all younger than me. Yeah, right. So yeah, both my both my folks, or sorry, neither of my folks were born in Australia. So mm. I was I guess first generation for the entire clan. Um so yeah, as I kind of went through my career, and I suppose this happens to a lot of guys, but I kind of just um you not you not drift apart from your family, but you know, it is harder to keep in touch with yeah with them as you oh, as you go fuck. along, especially deployments and you've got separation if you get moved to Darwin or Townsville or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And um, you're becoming a man, you know. <laughs> so Yeah, and you're, man, and you're in the infantry. That's it. You you're going out on your own and like army gives you it sounds fucking again cringe, but army gives you everything you need for the most part and you're just working it out the hard way. Like <laughs> what the fuck a tax return? Like Yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck, mate. I, I, th- like, I reckon I didn't do mine for the first like four years. And then yeah, <laughs> the ATO called me like, are you gonna do your tax return? Like, What's that? <laughs> What's that? Yeah. <laughs> well I haven't been paying tax. What's going on? Yeah, I thought it happened automatically. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Now um so then you get posted to two hour November two thousand five. Uh, how many blokes Correct. are heading up there with you? We had, I want to say, about six of us. Oh, shit. So not many at all, yep. Nah, mate. Yeah, I remember, um, yeah, not many at all. I think about six went to six went to two, six went to one. Uh, I can't remember where the other the other breakdowns were. I don't think we had, we had a handful go to Brizzy, and I think the rest were then um, five, seven, and three, I guess it would have been. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, six of us, and then split into pretty much straight away two companies. From what I remember, I think we went to both. We went to either Alpha Company or Charlie Company. Um, and in Charlie Company, I think that was where who you had on the other week as well. Chris Corpheus was in Charlie Company around the time. Yeah. He was senior yep. to me. He'd been there um, uh, quite a bit before I had arrived. But yeah, he was in Charlie Company two hours as well, which is funny that I saw you had him on the other week. So Yeah, yeah, nice. mate. Fucking cornflakes. Shout out. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> how mate, was- on, the, on that note too, I feel... I feel that pain having an ethnic surname well, in the Australian fuck, military. I couldn't even. Having, you told me exactly yeah, what it was before go. we got on, and I still <laughs> fucked it up. <laughs> Mate, every variation you've heard from every crusty Dargan Warren officer with with a you know barely literate autistic fucking crusty <laughs> yeah. Dargan Warren officer with a, a roll in his hands like fah fucking oh that cunt with a really long name and stuff. <laughs> yeah. What's the other dumb one? Wheelbarrow with an F. Ah, fucking shut up. <laughs> so yeah, fucking blog names mate, tricky. So you boys march in uh, November 2005. How's that reception into 2RA? Again, um, Afghan Iraq's kicked off but as you know for the regular infantry it wasn't, it was talking about, there was the rumours that were fucking kicking in, but uh, we had some Soli vets and Timor vets, so, mm. you know, the... I know what you mean, though, because... And that's the thing, even around that time, like, when we arrived, and it was probably the same for yourself, like, the guys who had done Interfed and Untayat, they were held in, like, very high regard. Like Yeah, you know, yeah, definitely. That was it. That was all that was going. Yeah. I mean, even if, you know, East Timor, no one's getting blown up, no one's dropping bloody drones on you or whatever. It wasn't full-scale warfare, but still, they would have done some... You've just only got to look at the photos and all that to know it was gnarly work, mate. Oh, like, no doubt, yeah. Pumping up the hills yeah. and patrol. Yeah. It was fucking hard yakka. Um, but, yeah, I remember <laughs> to answer that, I suppose I'll shout out here another one, another legend character of the RAR, bloody. I remember we, we marched in and we got taken up to the BHQ there at 2RAR and uh, we were introduced to a bloke called uh, Sergeant Dean Caswell, who oh, yeah, I'm sure familiar with, mate. Mate, he's, I was actually watching one of his YouTube videos last yeah, night. He's, yeah, he's got a YouTube, bloody. He's got a YouTube going. I haven't. I'm not super tight with cats, but you know, you see him around the traps 
most people do, you know, he's a big character within the community, within the RAR. And um, we got marched up to see this dude and uh, I'll shout him out. He's got a YouTube, he'll probably appreciate it. And he goes uh, straight away, he's like, you are speaking to the best sergeant in the best battalion, <laughs> in the best regiment in the world, which makes me the best platoon sergeant in the entire universe. That sounds exactly Don't get like tattoos you. of any dragons or don't get tattoos of Asian shit. You're not Chinese and dragons aren't real. Welcome to the 2nd Battalion. I remember it word for word, mate. It was just fucking insane. <laughs> word for word, just my jaw dropping in awe. Like, holy fuck, this dude's, <laughs> this dude's wild. But yeah, that was the uh, <laughs> the marching in advice, mate. Don't get tattoos of dragons or any Asian shit. And uh, Dean Caswell's the best sergeant in the universe. I'll, I remember it. Yeah, right. <laughs> fuck yeah, mate. I'll, I'm, yeah, I'm going to have to reach out to him, I think. Um, so 2006, you get your first deployment to Timor, but how's that, that period, you know, arriving to the new battalion and molding in into what's going on? How were you, how'd you fit in? Cause obviously uh, battalion busy, life is, mate. battalion life is yeah. next level. Like it's like a football team that's it there 24 seven. It is mate. I'm sure as it was when you marched in, it's immediately busy. Um, even though I think end of year, I believe we did one X before the, year ender it might have been the start of next year i don't recall um but yeah straight away did a bunch of reasonably big exercises did some horrific one where we stomped over over mount stewart there at the mm. back i uh, had done a bunch of life flies out the back there in the training area and then come straight back over the mountain and finished up back on base and then i remember one of the first big ones we did which again much to my shock was <laughs> was entirely mech we uh had b3 4 cav the cab boys across the creek there at the time they were very close to two rr so there was a pretty tight relationship with um not just us, I suppose, but between B3, 4 and 1RR and 2RR and did some hectic multiple week long. I don't want to exaggerate it too crazy. In my brain, it feels like it was months, but, you know, <laughs> fucking weeks up at high range just in buckets in the back seat, just getting knocked around and doing countless platoon attack, platoon attack, platoon attack. And the whole time again thinking, where the fuck are these helicopters? Mm. Where's this air mobile? Yeah, yeah. It's- <laughs> <laughs> what is this? <laughs> yeah, they never turned up. Um, so- yeah, mate, pretty busy. You know, they keep you – it was um reasonably booked. I suppose it's always been fucking busy. It still was up until the day I left. But I just feel like back then the the bush was longer. Yeah. Um, And at risk of sounding like oh, back in the day it was fucking harder. Like it's it's not the gist of what I'm trying to say. It's just I feel we did longer chunks of field, Um, especially in that case when it when you got to get, you know, however many APCs up to TFTA and – I suppose things weren't as easy back then, even just logistically, to um move things around and just little dumb shit like roads wouldn't have been as good, access wasn't as good, yeah, um, med planes and all that kind of stuff. So I can see how and why, uh, but yeah, certainly the field back then used to used to feel a bit longer at the very least than than what it is now in a lot of ways. Yeah, definitely, definitely, mate. Again, it was a different army back then. You know, we're still yeah, you know, coming into a you know a busy period that we you know all of us fucking. Got straight into eventually the next, you know, following, following from that next year, that's when it just turned it on for the infantry. Now, um, when was the, do you remember the first time you went to the Mad Cow? <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's funny because the Mad Cow gets a bunch of, um, a bunch of shout outs on the, on the CSRC Instagram account. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. Whenever I put like a story up and there's questions or, or people have the opportunity to do feedback, Mad Cow always gets a, a mention. So I put it up a few times, like in the yeah. stories. Yeah. And there's, um, I have quite a few followers from like the States and UK as well. Oh, yeah. They're like, this place looks sick. I want to go. Yeah. <laughs> like, far, yeah, man, yeah. If, you're, if you're ever in town, visit. That's uh, it, no, mate. I, I don't remember the Mad Cow first visit, but I remember there used to be, it was pretty, I suppose, territorial with which 
which pubs, which clubs, which units would go. Yeah. Um, I want to even say, I might even, at the time, I think one RAR had Mad Cow on lockdown. Uh, oh, did I? I might be, I can't remember, might be yeah. speaking mystery to you, but fucking, the, um, there was another joint. Ah, uh, fuck me, what was it called? Coyote Ugly. C, yeah. Equal, equal in C <laughs> to the Mad Cow. Equal in C, 100%. Like the dumb movie, you know, picture it. There were yeah. like skimpy ladies in various degrees of, of dress, like dancing on the bar. But, mate, I remember they had these- um. You mean oh, you God. you mean larger ladies in skimpy outfits? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't quite true to the movie. I'll put it that way. Um, but yeah, they did their best effort to recreate it. But this place had something insane, like uh, what's that horrible shit? Vodka Red Bulls for fifteen dollars a jug or something. And, yeah. And, yeah, I remember that was a, a two RAR hangout for a time. So that was um that was our fucking our loose haunt for a little bit there. I remember. <laughs> Oh fuck! Good, good times now, mate. For anyone, anyone still in now? That's uh, Cody Ugly's was where I think where Cactus Jacks is now on the on the on the Strand or oh, sorry on the, on the Strand on um what's it called Plinder Street. Plinder Street. Street, yeah, yeah, right. Now, following year two thousand six, this is where you get your first deployment to East Timor, Timor Leste. Timor, yeah. Timor kicks off. I can't remember it was presidential fucking elections and just shit going Mate, everywhere. It was, uh, Renato, what's his name? Yeah, it was interesting. Um, Major Renato. Yeah, so this was the original, the original two thousand six bit from memory. And again, I haven't like fucking researched this prior to coming on, but it was it was the cultural difference between the, the military and the police who mm. had, um, you know, I think as you remember that it was uh, what the fuck was it called Lorisai, Loramono, or whatever. So like the West indigenous more so Timorese were predominantly the police and the other side of the east were the military. I might have that backwards. But, yeah, the, what I think kicked it off was they had the uh, – they were protesting at some point and then a bunch of the military guys ended up like schwacking a bunch of the police guys there mm. in downtown Dili yeah. uh, in front of all the UN observers and everything. And I think that was the, um, the start of what I suppose was a mini coup d'etat which led to the Timorese government saying, hey, we want some international help here and, um, yeah, give us some Australian soldiers and – Portuguese or whoever else there was that came in at the time. Yeah. So they sent three Ariane first. <laughs> <laughs> Is that actually true? Um, I, I'd, mate, I'd love to dance, but honestly, can't, I can't remember who. I think, oh, I don't know. I'm just fucking spitting here, but I think it was. That was a, mate, that was a funny one in terms of the rivalry because it was, massive, it, was a, wasn't it? it was pretty much a, it was a three RAR led battle group. Yeah. Like I want to say that the CO running it was, was three RAR. Um, but it was made up majority. I think it was there was more two R and one yeah. R than there was three yeah. R guys. I think there was only. Well, you did you go on that? No, I I was busted that whole year, busting myself on a job. Okay, okay, okay. Yep. Yes, I want to say that was Bravo Company three R That was the um. I think Bravo's maybe no, fuck the whole the whole one. battalion left because I was the only poor cunt left fucking <clears> back in the battalion. Yeah, right. All the other malingerers. Fuck. Anyway, there was there was lots of you know you had three battalions in the same brigade, all with intensely strong rivalries on the same deployment. Yeah. Um. There was all these really passive aggressive like t-shirts being made and shit and fucking I remember there was at the time I think the news had just come out three R was going to go mech as well that yeah. was that news yeah. was trending around there oh, it was a rumor yeah it was a rumor then yeah rumor yeah because I remember whenever there was like because fucking three R of course spray paint par- uh, the, that's the everywhere <laughs> everywhere mate holy fuck um, and straight away dudes are going and then tag like a little bucket little APC M one one three dangling off the parachute. Fucking yeah, that was funny in that regards, mate. I'd forgotten about it to be honest. The kind of um, that, that it was like all good natured rivalry because yeah. of course, as soon as you ever came across each other, 
then it was it was like business as usual. You know, it's just a group of professionals working with another group of professionals from another organization. Yeah. But as soon as you're separated, it's oh fucking three hours. Fuck that, yeah. Fucking <laughs> fuck three them. Hours. I'll bash fucking them all. Fucking two hours. <laughs> <laughs> so how was your first trip to Timor? Again, this is your first deployment overseas. You know, yeah. you were just a young boy from Franklin's in fucking Timor. <laughs> Franklin Starmara, mate. Good place, good place. Used to get the shopping trolleys, actually. Get, yeah. <laughs> um, so, mate, I, I did, uh, this was kind of, it was interesting. I did three Timor trips almost back yep, to back, yep. which was a bit, a bit yucky. I won't lie. I was getting well and truly sick of Timor Leste mm. um, 2010. Um, but each of those trips was very uniquely different um, based on, I suppose, the nature of what was going on in East Timor and also, I suppose, um, you know, the company and the people I was surrounded with. But the, the first one was fucking exhausting. Like it was, I'd comfortably say the first team or trip was was div- more difficult in a lot of ways than, than even Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, again, no one's trying to blow you up or even shoot you in East Timor for the most part. But it was one of those trips where because it was a ready reaction deployment, um, and like as you remember, by the time we went to Afghanistan, there, there's fobs. There's, yeah. There's, there's fucking coffee, there's green beans, and there's all these sort of things with the bigger FOBs. And, and you go into country usually with a, with a, like a laptop and you have lots of, I guess, creature comforts, I suppose you'd say. Um, but, yeah, mate, that first Timor trip, that was, you know, you we flew in a Herc to uh, – no, sorry, I lied, we didn't fly in a Herc. We flew in a commercial airliner to like Darwin, and then from Darwin into Dili, we flew on a Herc. Yeah. And what we brought on that Herc was what we had for the next fucking – I think our company, Charlie Company, we were there for uh, five and a half months. So that was it. You know, you had your pack, you had your sleeping bag. We had a and little the little eshy bags um, prior to the dive bag era. The esh bags, which had some extra PT gear, a set of your running shoes, um, extra kit like this. But that was it, mate. You know, you, we, you'd hump around Dilly from little, I wouldn't call them fobs, but I guess platoon base or whatever the pre-fob term for fob was. Uh, and... No laptops and just no creature comforts and constantly moving. It was fucking hard, yucca, mate. It was um super duper tough in a different way to Afghanistan. Yeah, obviously less risk, but just hard, yucca. Yeah, yeah, and and sorry, just just for the listeners that don't understand the word fob uh, forward operating oh, base, not a not an Asian yeah. or an yeah. Islander that's just come off a boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just fuck. just to make that clear, <laughs> I'm gonna get cancelled. <laughs> Oh man, mate! So just <laughs> mate, just run me through the the role for you know again for the listeners that haven't experienced Timor or you know for the civvies that are listening. Timor was that first uh, rotation, as you said, it was about those police and military turning to a bit of a coup. And what was yeah. your role on the ground, like peacekeeping? Yeah, so uh, but this this pretty much extended then for the next three deployments as well for the most part. But yeah, it's a peacekeeping role, um, or I suppose we call it like SecOps, security operations role, or low-level ops. Um, the terminology has changed a few times over the years. But what that means is, in short, if you're a platoon, an infantry platoon, in uh, a situation like this, you're pretty much doing one of three or four things. You're either on a patrol, you're doing patrol-based security, you're QRF for a patrol, or you're on rest. If there's if there's four that cycle of four things, you're lucky because often – rest gets rolled into QRF. Mm. And it was pretty much that nonstop for for the rotation. You'd go to a different area of Dili. Um, one platoon would get tasked within the company to go out and patrol. One platoon would be doing security and the other one would be on QRF. And it was reasonably busy at the time because, again, people aren't 
shooting each other or trying to IED your, your cars as you're driving around, but there's constant civil unrest. They're burning each other's houses. Uh, old family feuds and blood feuds and all sorts of weird stuff are, are being sorted out because, you know, now there's anarchy. So, well, there's no, they think there's no police, there's no military. Let's, um, you know, let's settle scores, I suppose. Mm. So, you know, there's the burning everything, there's constant riots and the, the bloody, I'm not sure looting is the right word, but yeah, lots of civil unrest. That means um, you as a peacekeeping force get kept pretty busy for the most part. Uh, what else? Oh, the stupid art. There was these things too. I remember these these blokes, they called them mags. Martial, martial arts gangs, I think. Oh, the, all the crazy acronyms, mate. Mm. There was mags, yeah. martial arts gangs, gays. That was a real one. Gang-aged youths. Um, <laughs> and these guys, so again, weird bit of cultural Timor. They have these giant uh, gangs, like criminal yeah. gangs. They, they had one called KKK. <laughs> yeah, one was called KKK. Okay. I was like, mate, you know what Far this means. <laughs> yeah. So, which year did you go there? I went 2007. 2007. KKK? 2007. Okay, 2007. Yeah, yeah gotcha. Because um, I remember there was there was 777. That That's was it, 777, ones. yeah. Yeah, 777, there was uh, Sacred Hearts. Sacred Hearts, shit. yeah. They were, these these were like the big <laughs> players. And it was so weird because these gangs, which is just, you know, they'd get 20 of them together in a backyard. They'd wear like their um, uh, jiu-jitsu looking kit. What do you call it? Um, geese. Geese. Where yeah. they're geese and shit. But these people have infiltrated, or not infiltrated, they are members at various levels of government as well. Yeah. So it's a super odd. When you think about it, when you take a step back and look at it from the, from the <laughs> it's like, okay, you tell me you have like politicians and diplomats and police members and military members in these martial arts gangs, but it's not just like a jujitsu club, like the, the criminal organization. It's just a weird dynamic, mate. Like, Something that you know, when you think about it, it's like, what the fuck? That's yeah, imagine, imagine fucking Albanese wearing a gi in a, in a gang, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and he's got a slingshot tied around his neck <laughs> and blades down his pants, and you know, all those little the little weapons they used to carry around, yeah, like, far out. They used um, to have crazy all these, way they conceal, yeah, knives. pipe guns and fucking all these homemade shotguns and stuff. And just like, fuck, you yeah. fire that thing, it's gonna blow up right in your face. <laughs> Don't be doing yeah, well, that. they even had those, um. There were those slingshot things they had with the, but it was like a dart. Yeah. Like the, it was like a big looking fish hook. Yeah. Kind of, oh, not, not a fish hook, like a mini spear dart thing. And, you know, they put feathers on the back for stability and all that. And then you pretty much just, they'd make just a little slingshot, but in, instead of where you normally have the leather to like launch a rock from a slingshot, they'd have like paper clips so it was metal. And you could hook these dart things on and like, man, I remember those things, Um, they'd zip through like car doors and shit. I remember someone did a demo at some point and they'd yeah. lodge into the side of the uh, the land cruisers and shit that we were knocking around in. See, they were killing each other with these things. Like, again, no no guns, no IDs, but these people were, they, they were inflicting harm on each other with um fucking, with no worries if they were motivated enough to. Yeah. And uh, during that first deployment, was there anything significant that happened? You know, maybe a house on fire that you ran into and saved, you know, oh, I don't know. Um, not really. Arrested though. a few was- people? Fired a bit of forty mil. Yeah, but 40 that mil was gas. stop, mate. That was yeah. that was bloody. I was I was a gunner on that one, so I didn't. If you had forty mil in Timor, you were having a lot of fun. Oh fuck! Yeah. You got a lot of uh, yeah. <laughs> you just got a lot of the dunk, dunk. yeah, less <laughs> Yeah, there was the there was like beanbag rounds and there was gas rounds yeah. and there was um all sorts of kit. But no, that was pretty yeah, like detaining people, arresting people, and doing it kind of as a section. That was that was nonstop, mate. Mm. But um. Any times, oh, there's a fire down here. Go, go, go. Run, run, run. And then, okay, you find some dudes and they're burning it. And I was like, come here. Uh, yeah, it was just honestly a big blur of of either driving or walking around and lots of little shacks burning 
and at the same time wondering, like, why does every shark have a satellite dish? It's made of, like, straw. <laughs> they can all afford a satellite dish, but nothing else. So do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mate. They love their TV. Weird, they love their TV. <laughs> yeah, love the it TV. was weird. Um, um, yeah. No, I'm honestly, hard yakka. Like, that one was, was fucking hard work when I think back on it. Like, very little rest, um, constantly moving around, constantly, yep. like, working for the whole time. And very little creature comforts, like was certainly not like Afghanistan in that way. Yeah. So 2006 as well at this stage, again, going back to Iraq and Afghanistan, both those have kicked off. Uh, Iraq, I think they're yeah, doing, doing SecDets and uh, AMTG, is it? Yep. AMTG? AMTG? I want to it was either, yeah, because AMTG became OBG. OBG, yeah. Yeah, same thing, same and thing. I yep. remember that because, yeah, it was one of those things, luck of the draw. Alpha Company to our uh, Went to AMTG that year in early 2006. Yeah. And um, Charlie Company, we were going to, we went to Timor. Uh, so at the time, and to add insult to injury, I remember yeah. Alpha Company was doing their MREs to go to Iraq. Uh, sorry, that's mission rehearsal or mission readiness exercise. Yeah. So they're training to go to Iraq. And uh, we got tasked to be like a bunch of role players and enemies, knowing uh, that we weren't going to go to Iraq. So, of course, everyone in Charlie Company is vindictive as fuck. Like, <laughs> we are <the> company dogs. Actually, I just had a weird flashback on that MRE. We're at Lion Creek Junction, which is like the, yeah. um, the urban village up there at, at Townsville for the folks um, I can follow along. So, a fake like town where you do urban training, that sort of thing. And Alpha Company were were coming through the town, and Charlie Company, all of us playing like playing Op Four and Enemy, but we were, you know we were kids and we were villagers and we were playing various mm. degrees of Iraqis. And this fucking PMV comes rolling down the hill, and there's this dude role playing a child. I don't know why they thought this is a good idea. They said if you, if you get given a yellow T-shirt, you're a child, so yeah. just act like a child. And that's fucking dumb. Like soldiers don't, don't tell a digger to do act that. Like yeah. children, we're already acting like children. Now you're you're pretty much giving him a license to to spurt, to just be a, a full retard for whatever it is this exercise does. And mate, there was like a lab. I can't remember if it was a lab or a PMV. Um, they were cruising down the street, and again. Not tensions were high, but we were very jealous of Alf Company because they were going mm. to Iraq and we had nothing at the time. And this child just out in the middle of the street kicking this soccer ball and he fucking loads up and boots this ball like Zidane style, mate. <laughs> and it connects with the um the lav driver or the, the guy hanging out the PMV catch hatch. I can't remember which one. Full on snaps his head back, wish flash style, mate. And then just the whole fucking peanut gallery from everyone up at the Lion Creek pub there, just like, Wah! fucking yeah, pointing and laughing at hysterics, mate. He was pissed too. They got so fucking sloppy. Amazing. Oh, that's awesome. Sorry, mate, tangent, tangent there is the bloody, as the memories pop up. Yeah, no, memories. it's awesome, mate. And as you said, like before, you know, when we've got those battalion rivalries, there's those inter-battalion rivalries between each, each of the companies as well. You know what I mean? Like it's for sure, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and yeah, that's when you get like your uh, probably not as much of a thing now, but I'm sure it happened at three hour. You had your, your boozers would get wild because oh, fucking there'd hell. be these brawls between the companies, and you oh. know you try and steal uh, usually flags or some companies had different mascots and icons yeah. and all this sort of kit. Um, yeah, those boozers would get out of hand because there'd be these giant oh. brawls. Like if you're in a yellow shirt, you're Alpha Company. If you're in red, you're Delta. If you're green, you're Charlie. And then it's <laughs> it's easy to tell people apart, right? Yeah, yeah. Fuck, crazy times. Now, 2007, obviously, you get back from uh, Timor, your first deployment, you cashed up, you know, five and a half months in Timor, you got, you know, 50 grand in the bank. What'd you get? HSV, jet ski. 
<laughs> Mate, I can't remember getting that much. I wish I had fucking. I wish I had got some toy in hindsight. But um, look, I'd say I was boringly responsible with my money. I don't think I spent it on fucking anything except uh, except a bit of travel. I used to I uh, routinely. That was one thing I'd blow cash on quite happily. I'd go overseas like every chance. Oh I'd yeah, go. right. Yeah. Any right. any leave break, um, I would get a bit of traveling done, and mm. it's something that. To this day, like I have zero regrets about doing, mate. Like getting out and about, and again, cringe, but seeing the world uh, of your own volition, super duper important. I think um, you can learn a lot, not just about yourself, but just cultures, other people. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, that you never would have had the opportunity to. So yeah, I remember uh, actually after that trip, and then pretty much every trip, I would always go on a big, pretty much every leave day I had, just spend as much money traveling around as I can. Um, so yeah, to answer that one, that's that's where my money went, mate. I'd, I'd blow it on a. On airline tickets for the most part. Yeah. But then in between then getting back from whatever leave was, I remember doing, it would have been uh, at the time DFSW course. Mm. So what was in uh, in two hour hour, it was, uh, it was Nut Scratches was the name of the platoon. So every every infantry battalion, as you know, has uh, little different nicknames for their various, especially support company platoons. Some of them have since vanquished with the uh, advent of, of death symbology. Fucking yeah. very tragically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think what was three RRs heavy weapons? Were they were they bellies or fatties? Bellies, yeah, three and one bellies, bellies. There yeah. you go. Yeah, one RRs I think were fatties or fat boys. Yeah, so little you know, nicknames for various platoons. So yeah, I did DFSW course two thousand and seven, and not long after that, I went to DFSW platoon, and we then um we were DFSW platoon, but not in that function. Obviously, they don't need javelins and fucking yeah. gun lines in East Timor. <laughs> so we uh, we redeployed to East Timor then as- um, Just a rifle I want to say it was Delta. Delta yeah, pretty yeah. much a rifle too. Yeah, right. So you, obviously, you, you redeploy back uh, 2007, 2008 to Timor. Uh, different scenario as again, I think that was a presidential elections. So it was just uh, tying on the end of that. I think that all Mate, happened. It was. And- you- Got a good bloody memory. Yeah, yeah well, that's, so that's what, yeah, that's when I went. So I just remember I got rapid deployed. Yeah, okay. two thousand seven. I think um, I'm trying to work out if we relieved you then, or if you if you hoped. I with left. Us. We left Timor June, I think June or July, two thousand. Okay, gotcha. We we ripped you guys then because oh, we there were there. Yeah, right. there you go. Yeah, yeah, wild. Um, again, that was a uniquely different trip, and that was probably the more interesting of the three. Mm. Uh because that was at the time when they had. They launched another coup d'etat, and that was when the guy who was running the they called them the petitioners. They're pretty much the rebels. So these guys in the yeah. military who would shut up the police and were now roaming the countryside. At some point, he was in, incarcerated, but he escaped from prison. So he was I can't remember that was the first trip or the second one. Anyway, long story short, this dude I remember uh, his name Alfredo Renato. Yeah, they launched the like an ambush, I suppose a multi a multi pronged ambush. One on. And I get them mixed up. One was a prime minister, one was a president. Uh, Janana Guzmao and yep. who was the other fellow? Alcatiri? Oh, fuck. I can't remember. Might be his name. Anyway, there was a prime minister and the president of, our, of East Timor, I want to say. As this fellow, they like launched an attack on them. And at the time, I was doing an exchange with the uh, the Kiwis, which, uh, which was awesome. Uh, it turned out to be awesome at the time. I didn't want to because I remember, again, little things that are dumb on hindsight and reflection, but- at the time, they were going to have that stupid tour de force. So, you know, they send over yeah, some yeah, of the yeah, yeah. and the bands and all that from from um, Australia. And I was still with DFSW out at – we were at Gleno. And I threw this massive tantrum because I was going to miss the tour de force. And there was one of the, the Zoo Magazine chicks, Crystal, 
which you know you remember Zoo Magazine <laughs> yeah. this era was like yeah. the fucking bee's oh, it was the bee, it was the bee's knees. Ralph, all this. <laughs> you tell me I'm gonna miss Crystal because I've got to go hang out with the fucking Kiwis, like, mate. It's just a chick from. She's not gonna. She's not gonna jam you, mate. It's fucking bullshit. Like again, reflection, childish, massive man, baby. Yeah. But, um, at the time, mate, when you're on when you're deployments, things oh, that are important to you, <laughs> that that's it. Yeah, a white a white female. So, you know, exactly. You've been we've been on a deployment with smelly men for four months at this point, and you're telling me this zoo mag chick's going to come and, like, dance on stage with this band and I'm not going to have to be there because I've got to go hang out with the Kiwis? This is <laughs> fucking bullshit. <laughs> but anyway, did the Kiwi exchange. It turned out amazing. But while I was there with them was when the second coup d'etat happened. Um, so we got sent pretty quick up to Janata Guzmau's house, which is up in the hills there above Dili, uh, and we were kind of pulling security there for a little bit. Nothing ended up happening. But it was still just an interesting time to be on a deployment in a country. Yeah, you know, where there's yeah exactly, yeah armed coups going down and you're a soldier part of the peacekeeping force trying to uh, maybe not prevent all this but prevent a general chaos and um you know the law and order from just completely falling apart and later on that same trip i want to say is when he himself the shenanda guzmao guy was eventually i think he launched another attack yeah on alcatiri down on the his shorefront home like the presidential palace there in dili and he was killed in, in turn, killed, like trying to launch this uh, second assassination attempt. And I wrote they were splashing photos of there was him, like, you know, you got his brains, his brains blown out, rather, um, all over the front of the Dilly newspaper and all that. So I think that was the end of the, of the rebellion, pretty much by that point. Yeah, um, yeah. And obviously, this time as well, this is the first deployment for to, our, uh, to Afghanistan as well, 2007, 2008. Correct. R- correct RTF, correct. RTF so, 3. Correct. Yeah. So yeah. Alpha Company in 06 went to Iraq. So if you're in Charlie, you missed out. And then in 07, Charlie Company went to Afghan for RTF3. So if you were anywhere but Charlie, you got unlucky and missed out. Um, so yeah, they did RTF3, which I think had taken over from a pretty kinetic RTF2, Two. Yeah. I want to say. Yeah. That was one RAR's first I trip, think, I think. Yeah. And yeah. I want to say that was the one where they got amongst it pretty heavily. Like that was some of the first times the footage- of of regular infantry anyway, like not special yep. operations guys coming out of Afghan was like, holy shit, these boys are getting stuck. Yeah, it was one hour. Uh, it, it was yeah. one, yeah. One and two fourteen, I think, was the, the Yeah, cab. true. True, true, true. Yeah, I couldn't tell you which um which cab unit it was. But yeah, I think at the time then that was sort of when Afghan was, I suppose, starting to get real because mm. I you know, I don't know what happened on RTF one. Um there's not much, you know, PR or footage or anything of it. I don't think it was super duper um, busy, or oh, not not busy, but uh, super duper kinetic. Mm. But yeah, then I remember that RTF two on the one hour guys is getting absolutely amongst it, and everyone going like, "Holy shit, it's boys are it's getting real in Afghan now." Yeah, and you boys are obviously stuck in Timor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, My second, so absolutely <laughs> livid. That's well. it. So it's your second, know, second, like, yeah, second trip to Timor. You've uh, <laughs> fuck, and then uh, obviously you're back to t- <laughs> back to Townsville again. Um, you know, and then 2009, fuck, <laughs> Timor Leste, yeah, here I come again, mate. You, again, could, mate you could almost yeah. run for fucking so then presidency. It worked out, then it worked out if you weren't in a, if you weren't in a Bravo company who then went to sect it, you know, nine, yeah. <laughs> then, you, then you were going back to Timor. And that one too was pretty much a full battle group. Um, I think they all were actually. I think uh, by battle group, I mean mm. the whole battalion pretty much minus whichever company was in the Middle East. Yeah. Uh, so I think 07, 08 was a full to our uh, pretty much the whole battalion went as well. Um, 
And then 09, I want to say, was the same thing. Yeah. And how uh, was the, the, the 09 trip would kind of, 09 trip, I, I knew that it was taking the piss when at one point we got, we got given R&R. Uh, so they, they took our guns from us. They put us on a mog. And they stuck us down on this little, you could choose, you could go to like this beach and, and fucking put you up and pretty much go camping. Or you could go to this other little resort thing. And we went down to this resort thing for like a weekend and we we're pretty much just allowed to get blasted. Like yeah. I think they had the, there was the platoon sergeant or the boss or someone had obviously still um a weapon and like a, a sober state of mind for the whole weekend. Yeah. And then at one point there, this this ute pulls up or like sorry, not a ute, Nissan patrol or something. And it's this family. They're Australians. And they're like, oh, who are you blokes? Like, oh, yeah, g'day, uh, Australian army. Uh, we're just on a bit of R&R. It's all, all above board. Like, oh, no, no, we don't mind. We're just here on holidays ourselves, actually. You've yeah, been down right. on the beach. It was like, what the fuck? Like, how are, we, how are you going to tell me we're here doing peacekeeping? And there's just like families on a yeah. holiday in, in Timor. Um, but on that note, hey, I'd, I would go back, like, given the chance, and do like a holiday myself. Yeah, fucking- yeah. Any day, mate, because it's a beautiful it place. It is. It is. It's absolutely stunning, man. And as you'd remember, like some amazing beaches. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you're into it, the fishing would probably be red hot because be, they don't have- It would be bonkers. You know, there, their yeah. fishing is a, is a dude in a canoe. Yeah. <laughs> like That's, they, it has been overfished. They don't overfished. have industrial trawlers fucking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They don't exactly. It's not overfished. Um, There's no Chinese mountains, there yet. Mate. Like, oh, fuck, there probably is now, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's overfished now. Yeah, they'd be, be belt and roaded up the wazoo and they probably paid for fucking, you know. Fuck, that's another bit, isn't it? Bloody Chinese influence in the, in the southwest. Pacific. Yeah, mate, fuck. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? But uh, so that, that deployment, 2009, how long is that? Just ride and push bikes that was around? A, oh, another funny one on that. I remember because that was the first time they were introducing. The pushies. I want to say it was eight-month eight deployments. Eight months. Oh, was eight months? Yeah. Oh. So and I, I remember because we hotoed with with five RAR, I want to say. Yep. And I knew, again, I knew pretty quick eight months was going to be a tough slog because we hotoed with this five RAR company. And so, we, you know, we shared the, the FOB, the base with them for probably five days, whatever. Mm. But they did some – they were ripping out. We were ripping in. And I remember watching these five RAR guys. And they were literally, they were like zombies, mate. And I remember they set me one of them in the hallway, and he had his laptop open, and it had those, um, you know, those, those boomer memes where it's like the black frame and then a picture in the middle, <laughs> yeah. and it's got one word up the top, and then down the bottom. So it's like success. Uh, not everyone can fucking do it. Blah blah blah. And it's a picture of like a donkey pulling a crocodile out of out of an African yeah. lake. Some dumb shit like this. And this dude, man, he <laughs> he had his laptop open, and it was a slideshow of these black. Like those memes, just scrolling on like auto that Windows auto sort of slideshow shit, and he'd just sit there staring at it for like an hour. And then two of his mates would come, stand next to him, like not utter a word, stare at the screen as well, and then walk off. And I remember thinking, like, holy fuck, these boys have been here way they too cooked. long. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, get them home. This is this is fucking wild. <laughs> it's burnt into my mind, mate. Seeing just this these zombified soldiers, like fucking. <laughs> Get him out of here. <laughs> yeah, right. So, again, mate, uh, 2009, bit of a, you know, just a quiet deployment and then uh, back to Townsville again. And this is where you get into your basic sniper course. So, obviously, you've done, DF, you've done DFSW, you're still in sport company. You wanted to step it up a notch and change uh, razors and 
go on to Gillette yeah, razors. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. <laughs> the fucking the, the razor reputation. Yeah. I'm a pass like a oh. <laughs> The pooping in the bags I'll take. Yeah. Oh, never actually bags? Fuck, yeah, that's, bags? That's fucking glad wrap, mate. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, um, so you do your basic sniper course 2010. How's that? Because that's kind of right. like a, you know, it, it, it's a specialised side of things, especially within an infantry battalion. And, uh, you know, yeah. yeah. It's um it's hard yakking, mate. It's something I'm very passionate about now. Uh, obviously, I went on to spend a lot of my career in the two RR sniper cell. Um, so I've got a I don't know. I, I, it's a big part of not just my career, but you know, my life. As in, I don't hang on to it and make it my personal identity. But it's something that fuck, mate. We're, we're a very proud team. Um, you know, especially I'd say, and tragically, when Matty Lambert was killed in Afghan, which you know we'll get to in a bit, I suppose, but. That drew everyone together really, really tight as well. Not just the people, but the legacy, I suppose, of the cell. So we were kind of always a very proud organization to our sniper cell. And yeah, I mean, I was proud to be part of it and then eventually go back into um, my supervisor time there as well. So that's the the, uh, the sergeant running the cell. Uh, but yeah, the basic course in 2010, that's kind of your first, or that's the basic course where anyone aspiring to do the uh, sniper course or wants to be part of the sniper stream in the Australian Army, that's pretty much the first thing you do. So you get through the basic course and then you have the three-course program, which is the uh, the basic, the team leader course, sorry, and the super supervisor course later on. But that'll be stretched out over your career. And uh, the basic course there was was a treat for us because we had a couple of the guys who uh, had just come off, I want to say, Perth selection. So they were full of horrible ideas and had been inspired on nefarious ways in which yeah. to like torture you and make your life horrible. Um, so it's fucking, it was pretty spicy, mate. Won't, won't lie. They uh, run us around there at high range for a bit, which is where we did ours. And uh, sorry, I lied. That's um before the course itself, they uh, they run what's called the pre-selection. Yeah. It's now changed names. I want to say it's called, it's mod one. They've uh, formalized it and made it a formal process. Whereas at the time, it was kind of just the units would would run whatever they saw fit to uh, to choose the guys that would then go on to the, the proper course itself. So the the six week course. Well, how long is that whole sniper process? It is a quite uh, arduous course as well. It's not a easy thing. It's not like going on mortars course. <laughs> There's a few. Um, oh, look, they're hard in different ways. And like I said, I haven't done DFSW like. DSW and mortars, if they want to, they can make it pretty fucking gnarly in terms yeah. of physicality. Oh, yeah, they definitely. still make it pretty tough. Yeah. I'd say sniper course is is easy to fail. That's the way I would phrase Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Um, and a lot of guys would probably have a similar phrasing. It's just there's there's a lot of, in some cases, stars that have to align and you just have to do everything right in a lot of the little sub-assessments and there's very little room for error. So that's the way I'd frame it. It is it's it is tough as well. It's like it is physically tough, but that's not what makes – like that's not why guys leave the course. It's because it's very easy to fail. Um, so the key, I suppose I'll get into a little bit, but the uh, the key competencies, because this is kind of a tale as old as snipery time and is still relevant to these days, but the key competencies that guys will do on a basic sniper course is, um, is navigation, judging distance, stalking, uh, static navigation, and then, of course, shooting. So you yeah. have your shooting badge yep. test. Uh, historically, guys don't struggle with the shooting that much. Um, combination of you do a lot of it, you shoot heaps, heaps, heaps before you do your shooting test. But I think we saw from from trends later on, might have been when I was doing, I suppose, team leader time and getting a bit more down in the weeds, but uh, nav is the biggest thing that will make or break guys on the sniper course. Because if you break it down, you think about every component, 
being strong at navigating is a key part to all of them. Uh, stalking in and of itself, you're looking for a bloke sitting in the bush. Mm. If you can't navigate well, you're not going to have a hope in hell of finding him in the first place. Static nav, which is, I think, statistically the most failed event on the stalk. Um, and that pretty much just entails you being driven to a point uh, and then having to very accurately get distance, bearing, and a grid reference to three uh, non-distinguishable features on the map. So picture like, you know, you got your map and it's not like, hey, where's this? And you get a grid and it's a power station that you can just look at. Oh, sorry, they talk you onto the point first mm. out on the ground. And this is uh, what a lot of guys struggle with because, again, the the standards are quite tight for that. I can't remember the exact brackets, but you have to be very accurate with your, your grid uh, bearing that you shoot there, or sorry, your mag and grid bearing, and then the grid that you write down for the position that you give it. So that's tough. Um, but yeah, in short, the guys who are stronger at nav generally will perform, maybe not well, but better than their peers on the sniper course because it just covers so much of the course, everything everything nav-related, practical, static, um, and even just, yeah, the theoretical understanding of how well a guy can interpret data off a map. Yeah, no, exa- exactly. Mate, you know, uh, more, I'm a Mortarman, so you know, I love a love a Namaburger. But uh, yeah, navigation yeah, was uh, navs was, you know, one of those things you had to smash in mortars because it, it was all about yeah, maps. So, it was all about maps. Because uh, you guys get down in the weeds with um, what they call it, map protractor, right? Yeah, is, exactly. as I understand, pretty similar to static nav. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you do your snipers course, and then you're eventually posted into the sniper cell uh, late 2010. And correct, uh, correct, is, correct. is there any talk of any further trips coming up? Uh, Afghanistan, obviously, oh, Afghanistan was mate, pretty much was, the only uh, trip going at that stage. I think, yeah, you know, it a bit was. of Iraq, it bit really of Iraq. Was. Um, yeah, I want to say maybe even Sector had. Yeah, there was a Sector going on. I can't remember when the last Sector was. I think they're just doing the camp yeah, based right. Taji Afghan stuff. Afghanistan was about all that was going on. Oh, true, I didn't realize Taji had yeah. started yet, or whatever that was. Yeah. Um, Afghan was pretty much here. Yeah, the only thing going, I think by then it had rotated, it morphed into what would it have been? MRTF. There would have been maybe a couple of MRTFs by yep. that yep. point, by late 2010. No, actually, it would have been MTF because we were MTF3. Dumb. So, yeah, there was whispers of Afghan, but nothing um, nothing solid. And I remember at the time, this was, again, going back to that rivalry, I think it was down to either two or three, area. I'm not sure. Were you in for this still? Do you remember ah, fuck. I, I, was, well, I got out in 2009. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So you but just missed. This was around the time when I think this this Afghan rotation, so uh, MTF three was going to come down to either two RR or three RR, and then it went to two RR. And around the same time, I think three RR got told in like in one sitting by the this is legend has it kinds of stuff. Yeah, obviously wasn't there. Oh yeah, <laughs> this is the story. Third, fourth, fifth. <laughs> three RR got told in one fell swoop that I oh, yeah, uh sorry boys, two RR got the Afghan gig. Um, yeah, also we're, we're losing airborne. Oh, and yeah, uh, also additional to that, we're, we're going to Townsville. <laughs> that was the, that was the story as we heard it. And apparently that there was like a, a boozer or was just before a boozer and three hour just like righted. Like, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I remember the rumors, mate, the rumors coming in 2006 and then strong rumors by, by the time I get out, 2000, 2008, 2009, strong rumors. No wings, no air, no airborne. Fucking, you moving towns? I'm like, get really, get yeah. me, get me the fuck out of here. I'm not going to Townsville. Yeah, true. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, if the rumors are going that far back. Then, yeah, yeah, it probably checks out, mate. <laughs> fuck, that's a triple whammy, right? Like losing airborne, oh. moving towns. No, that was also trip. a big part of Sydney of uh, of three RRs, 
um, appeal. I suppose you guys at Sydney. Yeah, exactly. Like the only conventional yeah. infantry unit in Sydney. Like, yeah. sick. Everyone else is in scummy Townsville or yeah, Darwin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fucking, exactly. Oh, sorry, at Brisbane. Yeah. Of course, but um, so, yeah, triple whammy. Mech, Sydney. Losing Sydney and losing Airborne and not going fucking <laughs> but not Afghan, going Afghan well, so. yeah. Oh, mate, killer. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I remember. Oh, you're right, gone. No, you're right, mate. You're right. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember uh, I was on leave, I want to say it was, I guess, the leave, you know, the Christmas fucking stand down between yeah, yeah. 2010 and 2011. And I remember I was uh, I was down visiting bloody Nonna, actually, the, the Italians in Sydney. Yeah. And I had a phone call from one of the guys in the cell and he was like, hey, man, it's looking like, looking like we're, we're game on here. Um, and I remember kind of at that point uh, where I was even when the phone call went down because like we talked about from, I suppose, RTF2, you know, Afghan was ramping up to be pretty hairy. Mm. Like at the very least, there's guys fucking um, getting amongst it from the from the, the RAR. And I think on, on what was it, RTF3, the uh, – uh, forgive me for not remembering. It was a cab bloke that was – Yeah, uh, Trooper um, Pierce, uh, Pop- Poppy Pierce, yeah. yeah. Poppy, David Pierce. Poppy Pierce, yeah. yeah. And so I think he was with the two-hour rotation, and so he was. He was, so it was, yeah. Fucking, it was getting real, mate. You know, people were, were dying over in this mm. joint. It wasn't like the early, early days. Um, so yeah, I remember getting that phone call. But at the same time, they were having some weird stuff with the Orbat. They were trying to scum it so that they could get maximum snipers on that trip and make sure that everyone or most of the guys in the cell would get a run on Guernsey, which uh, they fortunately did in the end. They had to break it down kind of weird, so they had um. They had a quad of guys, so that's a team of four. They were to one combat team, and they split the. They had to split the rest of us in a kind of weird fashion. So, I was broken with um, Adam Kelly, who was my team leader, and so we did the full Afghan trip together. I was broken off to Delta Company Two R R, which then became uh, Combat Team Delta, and we also had another another pair um, go off to Alpha Company Two R R. So we had snipers working as pairs within a combat team, which isn't. I suppose doctrinally sound isn't mm. ideal, but it got us on the deployment because there was a risk if, you know, they tried to make it any other way that we wouldn't have got the trip. So it was a weird way because we ended up doing the whole rotation like that as a sniper pair, which was um, it's not ideal because you can't really do much as a fucking pair. It's a little bit risky. And by this stage, even 2011, most other Western militaries, like their sniper teams are working in, I think Canadians were sixes, Marines go out as like they go out pretty heavy, like eight or ten. As a as almost a sniper squad yep, kind of thing, yep. um, and sniper pair. It's just common sense. You what can you do? Two dudes. You know what I mean? It's not like it's not Vietnam. We're not slithering around the jungle, and we need as little a group of guys as possible. You've got to somehow stay awake and provide security for yourself. So two guys wasn't ideal, but it got us on the trip. So I was forever thankful for um, whatever machinations made that happen. Yeah, yeah. So obviously you get your first trip to Afghanistan. The dentist gets his first trip to the to, to Afghanistan, <laughs> which we'll, we'll touch on that nickname down the track. Yeah, mate, yeah. you're a fucking Timor vet through and through, mate. You probably got the Timor tattooed on Timor flag tattooed on you somewhere. Um, I was fl- I was Tedum fluent, mate. It wasn't going to help me with tattoo, but my Tedum was red hot. <laughs> uh, you get you get into Afghanistan, and how's the you know the the emotions are like, fucking finally here we go, fucking yeah, mate. It's, it's balls deep, it, almost Let's exactly go. as you just said. Yeah, very much like yeah. oh, fucking finally, boys. Again, I remember I I, I flew in on the Herc from um uh where, where are you coming from AMAB here uh there in Dubai. And one of the guys I was sitting very close to, he was another bloke that we'd come to 2RR around the same time. Like he, he was a bit ahead of me. Uh, he was a section commander at this point, taking a, a section over to, in Delta Company 
but he was the same as me. He'd done Timor 06, Timor 07, 08, <laughs> Timor 09. And we'd kind of spoken like in, in hushed tones, like I'm not believing this until I feel my feet. Boots on the ground, yeah. <laughs> yeah, mate, in that dust of TK. I, until I feel TK dust on my boots, I'm assuming this Herc's taking me to Dilly. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going back to Timor again. But yeah, I remember we were coming into land. I think we touched down and we gave a little fist bump or something similar. Like, yeah, exactly like you said, mate. Yeah. So like, fuck, finally, finally here for the big game kind of sensation. Yeah, so you obviously settle in, uh, settle into TK, and then you know uh, do your handover with the and do a uh, what do they call it a nursery patrol. So your first yeah. first time outside the wire with uh, the previous battalion. Whoever our one was um our our starting bit was kind of slow. So I remember we hung around at TK for a couple of days. We did uh, maybe some 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 briefs. I think we had a brief from some of the int guys, like human guys, mm. uh, maybe another ROE brief, some of this kind of stuff. And then we flew pretty quickly. So Delta Company that was. Um, Kels and I flew up to Chora. So this is where Delta Company was in Chora Valley. Had a Fob yep, yep. Wise or, uh, sorry, Fob Lock, Fob Lock. It was kind of, I think they expanded it and it was both names. Yep. Fob Lock was the old one. And then- um. The expanded bit was just mirror-wise, but if, in, either way, the terms are used interchangeably. I'm not sure why. Uh, Alpha Company went to Mirabad. Charlie went to fuck. I can't remember where their primary bit was because um, they ended up moving around quite a lot. I don't remember where they started. And I think Bravo Company were out to that that western one, uh, Durawood, Durawood, Durawood. Yep. So anyway, yeah, we flew up to to Chora. And then it was kind of a slow start for for Kels and I. I I don't think we got embedded much in the um. We didn't do many of the the nursery patrols. So by the time we stepped out for the ground the first time, uh, the the guys who ripped out with us had had left, which was five hour hour. But I do remember um, briefly we, yeah, back in TK the five hour snipers were still there, so they had a big sniper room uh, in TK there, which is what half of our guys inherited. And yeah, the, the sniper community itself is pretty pretty tight as well within the RAR. Like even if you you've just met these guys, like in the five hour snipers, I think you'd had a pretty that had a pretty hectic trip as well. Mm. Um, so they had a, I want to say it was, I think it's all it's all public and it's in the news and there's articles and shit about it. So I don't think you'll mind if I mention it. I think uh, Tampolini, who I only met briefly, like we're not super tight or anything, but I think they had a bunch of um bunch of hairy moments out in uh, out in Chora there. I think he might have been either he or his his oppo got shot and they was like self-aiding and in the middle of a contact. Pretty gnarly stuff. Yeah, right. Um so you know that we kind of hotoed with with these guys and they were kind of giving us some of the uh more just verbal briefs and like, you know, hot tips that you get from just having been there eight months. So we learned quite a bit from these guys just speaking to them and kind of um getting a feel for it without even being on the ground out with them. Uh but yeah, then first first steps out there in uh in Chora, I remember one of the first things I was doing was zeroing my zeroing my SR twenty five there up the back of the range. There's little, it's literally hundred meters back onto the mountain, and I'm down there like patching out the targets, and fucking one of those giant Russian helicopters. I yeah. can't fucking remember which one. It might have been an MI seventeen, something like this. The big ones they used to resupply yeah. us with. So yeah. the Russian yeah. shoppers would come in and drop off all the food, water, all that kit. And I remember turning around and the flight path where these choppers would come in was right next to the the firing point there on the range. And I had like my SR-25 and like a poof mat, like on a shooting mat. Yeah. And then as fucking I turn around in horror, I see this chopper flying in, it kicks up all the dust, kicks up the mat, and then just watch my gun, this rifle, freshly zeroed scope, <laughs> mind you, just like 
cartwheeling down this ravine onto these rocks and shit, like 50 metres, mate, and just standing there like hands in my face like fucking hell. I'm not going to get another <laughs> one of them, am I? And sure enough, mate, yeah, that gun, that rifle, which uh, I loved it, mind you. I was a big fan of the SR-25. From that moment on, the the windage drum, um, you know, getting bloody sniper pedantic here, but the windage drum was, was fucked, was cooked. It wouldn't turn. Yeah, so right. anything I'd have to do from that point on, I'd have to hold for wind, like left and right, <laughs> which is funny because nowadays that's pretty normal practice. Like guys commonly don't dial yeah. for wind or just hold in the reticle for wind. But at the time, it was like we were dialing for wind. So I was like, fucking hell, I've got a fucked wind drum now. This just bad kind of one of those things you don't want, right? Like a bad yeah. omen, bad yeah. start to the trip. And I remember that going, oh, fucking hell, this is not good. Because there's no way you could get another one either. You know, it's um, and weirdly, SR-25s were hot property because it wasn't just snipers that had them. If there was an, a spare SR-25 lying around, you oh, guarantee yeah. there, was a, there was a captain in TK with one. Like, no no disrespect to the CAV dudes, but there's a random CAV sergeant with one. Like, I think it's just the mags forward of the, of the trigger, mate, so it's sexy and it looks like an M4. I don't know what it was, mate. SR-25s were like the coolest bit of Yeah, yeah. What was the basic loadout for you? Obviously, you said you had the SR-25, you had the 338 and – because the SR-25, 762. Uh, Correct. You had the 338 and then you had the 50s, the big the big boys. Yeah, so we had um, – mate, we were fortunate. And that is one thing I will say. Uh, Australian snipers were pretty well equipped, like even going far back as then and even still now. But we had a very much a golf bag kind of approach to our kit. So we had the the Blazer was our three three eight gun. Um, we had the SR ninety eight, which is bolt action seven six two again. Um, by that point, kind of legacy because there wasn't many reasons to choose mm. an SR ninety eight over the Blazer. Uh, reliability might be the only one I could think of. Um, then we had our fifty cal, the big girl. Uh, we also had just had arrived was the HK four one sevens, as well as SR twenty five, and as well as Fucking, I think it was two styres, two pistols. I had a wombat gun, uh, which I painted. This is fucking, I wish I could find a photo of it, but I can't. It doesn't exist. I painted this wombat gun, mate, in tiger stripe, like a tiger <laughs> yeah. stripe camo. Yeah. Call of Duty style. But it's from, it's a throwback to uh, Apocalypse Now. Yeah. And yeah. there's that scene where they're on the bridge, yeah. the, the My Love Bridge or whatever it is, and like, get the roach, the roach is sleeping. We're waking up. Like, and that dude comes down, he's got the M79 painted in tiger stripe. Yeah. I was like, I've got a wombat gun. I'm fucking painting it in tiger stripe. <laughs> so, yeah. Long story short, we had kit coming out the wazoo, but the, um, the positive was we, we could choose and very much tailor what we needed for the task at hand. So, you know, if Kels and I were going on a on a patrol where we would say accompany a platoon or a, a section, whatever, in the green zone. Um, so, you know, as you know, the bloody the geographical bits down near the water where it's kind of thicker, you don't have as many lines mm. of sight, uh, visibility is much less. And we'd both just bring a, a seven six two gas gun. So I'd have SR twenty five and Kels would bring HK four one seven. And with that, you know, we're still we're still if need be. We're shooting reasonably confidently out to six, eight hundred meters, mm. um, and that even in the green zone would be probably overkill anyway. Uh, but then, hey, if it was a a longer ter- longer distance gig, then we might bring, you know, fifty cal, or we might bring blazer, or we might bring both. But there were some other weird little pickles to the kit, where, for example, like the fifty cal, we we couldn't put a um, we couldn't put a night sight on it. We couldn't put the UNS. Yeah, so we couldn't shoot fifty cal in the dark. But the blazer had a, a night sight bracket, had the um, night's armament Picatinny at the front there. So we could put a fucking a night sight on the blazer, but it wasn't suppressed. So then if we wanted a suppressed bolt gun that was very accurate, we'd have to bring the SR-98. But then, you know, then we've got 7.62 instead of 3.38. So we're yeah. like taking 500 meters off our max effective range. So it was this kind of maddening 
juggle where we'd have to be like, fucking hell, what do we, what do we want more like to shoot in the dark or to shoot really long? Um, fortunately now all that stuff's been standardized and, you know, it's easy matter of getting more night sights for the guns mm. or getting guns suppressed, whatever it is. But yeah, it was interesting, mate. I had a lot of kit, um, but as a kit monster, I, I, I fucking loved it. I loved having the choice of all, yeah. these, all these guns, mate. And like, you know, there's boxes and racks. And, oh, I might take this one today. <laughs> Give me some of them. Blazer, you're coming. Like, yeah. it was good, mate. Was that's, that's pretty fucking cool. Now, first, uh, you know, first tick for your combat team. First blood. Yeah, so this Rainbow. was, um, again, this is kind of one of those, holy shit, it's getting real here. And mm. this wasn't, to be clear, I was not physically there for this. Mm. But it was, uh, it was guys from the combat team and some guys that I'd known quite a long time were, were really tight with. So they went out on a, they had some, some intelligence. I don't know how or where it came from that at some point in this night, uh, a bunch of baddies were going to go and plant an IED somewhere on one of the roads there in Chora. I think that was about it. They might've had a rough area, mm. um, but that was about the extent of it. So these guys went out um, section of blokes with a, with some Afghan partner force. So obviously MTF three mentoring task force three, really the, the Nuts and guts of what we we're doing was meant to be mentoring slash training and accompanying the the Afghan National Army. So a section of guys went out plus these Afghans, and they'd um they'd pulled up for kind of a short halt uh, in this like one of those little fields, the little orchards of what are those fucking trees? It might have been pomegranates or something yeah, like this. Yeah. And then out of uh out of the bush, it wasn't too far. It would have been less than less than a hundred meters easy. They just see this little conga line of these talibs come kind of slithering out of this bush. And this is all night. It's obviously in NVGs. And they, I remember when he described it to me because he looks and the first bloke comes out and he's like hunched over and he had a rifle or he had an AK like cradle in his arms and he was doing this weird little cartoon shuffle. Like he'd go like, stop, look around. Stop, look around. Like hunched over like a fucking tactical prawn or something. And so they're watching these guys like, what the fuck is this? And then slowly like all the NADs started appearing on them and like they got – Closer and closer, and they're pretty much just. It was almost. It worked out like a perfect little ambush, yeah. like a night fucking, a night ambush. These uh, Taliban were walking across in front of where this patrol was. Word was that I think one of the A and A might have given up the ghost, whether intentionally or otherwise. But you know, the A and A weren't quite as disciplined when it came to fucking noise and, and mm. light routine and all this sort of kid. But he he stepped. It's I don't know if he stepped on a twig or he was talking too loud or something. But you know, as these little. Taliban conga line, I think there were five of them total, um, was walking across left to right in front of this halted patrol. NADs, like lasers lighting them up everywhere. Then uh, he's just like snapped, turned his head, looked straight at the patrol, and then they rec- they just lit them all up. They just yeah, fucking fuck started engaging yeah. as best they could. So it was uh, a quasi-ambush, I suppose, but yeah. not intentionally set out that way. So these boys did a – like shout out to them. They did a fucking a red-hot job, mate. And this, um, this same section, that was the same group that – uh, later on, was involved in another fucking another tick uh, where we ended up supporting them. Um, so yeah, they turned what was like a short halt into a hasty little ambush. Uh, they took some return fire as well. The ambush turned into a section attack. So by night, um, you know, fucking pepper potted forward, assaulted through the uh, these these talibs because some of them had squirted straight away. I think another one had been hit, but he was still laying there, like you know, putting some return fire back. So yeah, they did a section attack, cleared through. Um, yeah, pretty much fine, fix, finish the fucking talibs who were still there uh, dead in the ambush zone. And so from that, the very next day was uh, – this was early morning, like late night. We were – Kells and I were still up, I think, at this point. We were hearing all this over the radio, like, holy fuck, the boys are amongst it. And we went out very soon after to pretty much help with the um, 
the SSE, so like a site exploitation or help them with their reorg, I guess. Because they'd done it by night, so they couldn't see shit. I think they were just going to secure it until mm. until morning, until daylight, and then do a better exploitation. Uh, and yeah, so come daylight, Kels and I went out with I think a, another another patroller, another quad or something to reinforce these guys. And they had um, uh, I think they had backloaded yeah the body bags of the Talibs that had been killed. I want to say there was two that they got outright, and I think two squirted. I might be wrong, mate. Maybe there was only four total. Yeah. Definitely yeah. at least four, no more than five. Uh, two squirted. One of them, I think, turned up later dead in the hospital, and the other one, I think, proper got away with it. But, yeah, so Kels and I went out that day, and sure enough, there was um this big – they'd had this big sack, and it had the big fucking YPOC in it. So that's the uh, YPOC yellow palm oil container, which mm. anyone who was in Afghan will be familiar with. It's the yeah. IED bloody yeah. kit of choice, giant plastic jug. And so, yeah, sure enough, mate, the, that int was correct. They had this um, giant IED. They were going to dig in and bury that night and uh, got sprung in the act, mate, and got uh, got caught out with their pants down. So it was a great bit of work by this by this section that was involved. And I remember Kells and I out there and we were taking some photos and all that sort of kit. Kells had found a, like a blood trail and we were following this away from the site and it was obviously where one of these guys had, um, had, had squirted. So he was leaking bad at this point. This must have been the dude who later died in hospital. As we're following this blood trail for a little bit, Kells and I followed it, not far, because, you know, it was just the two of us away from the uh, the contact site. There may be 100 or so metres. And uh, at some point there, there was like we found a bloody, some bloody like rope kind of thing. Like it looked like it was the 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 string there off their man ropes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Around, I know like, what you're talking about. Yeah. And so fellas obviously had the wherewithal to, oh, shit, I've been hit, stumble away from the contact. And like at some point there, he's tried to like tourniquet himself and- and that kind of, at the time, I'm not sure if surprised me is the, the right word, but I was like, holy fuck. Like, you know, they know what they're doing. They're yeah, not just complete that's it. Yeah. spastics. If this guy's tried, he knows he's been shot probably in a leg or arm or whatever, and he's made this improvised tourniquet and tried to fix himself knowing that if he stops the bleeding, it shows a degree of like nous, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. And that he was still close enough to the contact site where, you know, he would have heard them like, clearing through doing the section attack by that stage and, mm. and finishing off his mates. And that gave me like kind of, I was thinking about it. I was like, man, these, some of these guys, the the players here, they, they know what they're doing and yeah. they know what they're about. Um, so that was, yeah, kind of the first, you know, obviously I wasn't involved in the, the, the ambush itself or on the patrol with these guys. But again, that was the first kind of experience where it was like, holy fuck, this is again, very real. There's, um, there's people here trying to kill us. Yeah. <laughs> no fucking doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, fucking exactly, <laughs> mate. So then that moves on to obviously uh, Maddie Lambert uh, killed in action on the 22nd of August 2011, mate. So this kind of changes the fucking ball game. Yeah, correct, mate. And as you said, yeah, as we were just talking about then, it makes it very real and nothing makes it more real when someone you know gets gets killed in action, you know, especially on the same trip. Um, Maddie Lambert had... He'd done a course previous to mine in the two hour sniper cell, so we went on the same course, but we were both, I suppose, similar uh, error because we both went to the cell late 2010. So even though he'd done a course before me, we both posted into the uh, the cell there at the same time. And you know, there's you know another one of those things you never forget where you were when you heard mm. about it because I wasn't mm. I wasn't with Maddie tra- uh, when he was killed tragically. He was in um, that quad that was out of out of TK there. So those guys. And they were doing a task out in, and again, I wasn't there for this. I must make clear, but they were out in Kazarazgan, which is way up north, northeast. I think at the time they were working with the the ODA, 
And there was a Green Beret base up there, which uh, even our regular, you know, we're obviously a conventional uh, infantry battalion, but even our guys had expanded to, and we're doing quite a few joint patrols with these these Green Berets, these ODAs, so it was kind of cool. Um, and I think at the time they'd, they'd done a few jobs already with the ODAs. I think they'd even, they'd had uh, a few engagements up there. So Maddie's team, because they always worked in a four, they'd uh, had some, they'd had some long bombs. I think they were, they engaged a few guys at plus 2000 meters. So they'd already got some good work done. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. And I think I had a pretty, yeah, had a pretty good rapport and good working relationship with these ODA guys. Um, and then I think the, the night he was killed, they were moving into, I suppose they were going to set up an overwatch position by mm. night for then an ODA or a Green Beret clearance or whatever it was going to be the next day. So it was a sniper team and then an Australian omelette team. And that was, I think, the, the main link with the ODA guys. And as I understand it, and this kind of this changed the game in a few ways for us, obviously not that just tragically the Matty was killed, but um, in terms of how we did business going forward the rest of the trip. So he was on point leading this joint mixed patrol of, of Australian troops. And I think directly behind him was a Green Beret guy. And he triggered a, I want to say it was pressure plate. Um, I think it was a fucking big bit of kit from what I, again, I wasn't there. So I probably know about as much as you do, to be honest, mm. mate. And aside from that, just going off the word of the guys who were a uh, big bit of kit intended for a vehicle. So triggered quite a big IED that was pressure plate triggered. And as I recall, mate, he, I think he I think he passed by the time mm. he got back to TK or if not long on arriving after TK there. Uh, and... Similar thing. Like I remember where I was standing when I got the phone call saying we were going to be going to Afghanistan. I remember exactly where I was standing when uh, I had the word that the Matty Lambert had been killed. And that was, we were at, at the time, Adam Kelly and I, the te- my team leader, we were in uh, Cop Mashal, which is just down the valley there in Shora from Foblock. And we just finished, it was early, early, early morning. We just finished doing some training with the ANA out the back, like a little pissy rain shoot or something like in the pre-dawn light. And just walking back into the fob and, and Kel's like this look on his face of just straight away I knew just something mm. fucking horrible had happened. And yeah, Kel's just like comes straight up to me and pulls me aside around like one of those Hesco's, other uh, Hesco like kind of chicanes that you have there on the FOBs. And he just pulled me straight aside and was just like, Matt, he's gone, man. Like his exact words. And I was like, as you guys, you know, mate, shock at first, like probably reacted. With, I, I think I just said like, what? Like, what the fuck? Um, and then it kind of, it sinks in over the coming days, obviously, but, uh, yeah, mate, reading, rewinding back to what you said, it, it does make it all real. Mm. It makes it all real when not only is a guy killed on your rotation, but it's someone not only that, you know, but someone who's pretty much part of your team. And yeah, the two hour sniper cell was, and has ever since been like a very like legacy rich and I suppose proud, strong team. So to have one of us, um, and to a degree, you know, you feel like, Something you feel invincible, but fucking hell, like that it was. I think it was surprising that that Maddie was of all the people. Do you never think it's going to be, of course, anyone you know? But that it was one of the snipers who was the first killed on that rotation was extra surprising to me, just because I never suspected. I'd never crossed my mind that one of us would be the first to fucking to go. Um. So yeah, mate, it definitely changes your outlook. Yeah, definitely, mate. And then you know, as you know, mate, the fucking job's got to go on job still fucking rolls on you're gonna do the rest of the fucking deployment yeah correct mate so we were there at the base we were at had um it was uh the platoon commander there he was a good lad as well he's gone on to 
to uh to Perth. He went on to uh, so command, and then the platoon sergeant was um Justin Huggett, who's or Huggo. It's probably how most people know him from social media. Um, and he did quite a good job. He pulled us in, gave us kind of the uh the G not the G up, but uh I suppose the consolidation speech. Words to the effect of what you just said. You know, you can't be a, a cock about it, but in short, yeah, the job has to go on. So I don't envy that task, mate. People have to break that kind of mm. break that news to people. Um, so. Yeah, he did a pretty good job. He got us all in and just – and that wasn't like Kels and I's usual base. We were there with, with that platoon, with Huggo's platoon and um, similar thing, you know, like all the phones and all that go down, as as you know, whenever there's an incident or someone gets killed. So you can't like dial home and, and start like talking to your mom or your fucking therapist or whatever and be like, oh, I feel sad. Like, yeah, so everything gets very internalized and you have to kind of start dealing with it very rapidly amongst your mates, amongst the other the diggers you're with and then – um. And yeah, get on with it though, as you said. Yeah, yeah. Fucks in a way, but fuck, man, it's it's the way of the world. Yeah, and it's crazy because you don't want to. Well, shouldn't say uh, seek revenge, but you do want to seek revenge. <laughs> yeah, man. Look, you want to fucking you're end right. The you're right. Taliban, I, you know? I, know ex- I know exactly what yeah. you mean. I know exactly what you mean because that I remember that night or that afternoon, like we found out Maddie had been killed in the morning, and want to get out the yeah, next day. We, yep. Fucking the professional side of you, like, yeah, you know, you can't seek revenge. But then everyone's a human and there's an emotional side of you that kind of starts thinking about it as well. But I remember I was sat up on the Hesco's there. There's like a little rooftop bunker. And I was setting up there on on uh, on dusk because dusk, especially around that place at Cop Michal, uh, I think five hour before us, they were always getting whacked at Cop Michal. And I sat up there on dusk, like with my SR25, like, come on, have a crack, boys. Like, let's see what you got today kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, nothing ended up happening, but yeah, you know that's going through my mind. Yeah, I'm, it's not so. Maybe it's not revenge, but it definitely it's okay. If some motherfuckers start attacking this base now on dusk, and I've just had a friend of mine killed, I'm going to be yeah probably more enabled, more like mentally likely to be able to effectively make a discerning and fucking disciplined like decision to pull a trigger on an enemy combatant. Yeah, like more so than if it was, I don't know. If these guys were, were were angels and they're all doctorates in fucking cancer research and all that sort of thing, but one of them just a bad egg and he decides to start shooting at us, you know, then I'm going to be looking through the scope like, oh, I don't know, is he is he really is he that fucking no? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it gives you that sense of perspective that it's it's um it's the game you're playing, right? It's, yeah. Uh, both sides playing for keeps. Exactly, mate. And I guess that's where the, the dentist comes into play. But just before we start on the on the dentist story, <laughs> mate, just before actually Maddie Lambert, obviously 6th of August 2011, extortion 17. This happens, you know, in the Tangy Valley. And you guys got word of it? Because obviously this is a-, a was, that, um, was that the 6th of August? In my mind's eye, that was after, I thought that was after Maddie Lambert. No, it was the 6th of I August. I'm, look, I'm looking at Wikipedia and it says 6th of August 2011. So it's before, really? Yes. Okay. Okay. It's just weird. My timeline in my um in my brain's memory, I thought that happened afterwards. Um, but yeah. Anyway, so extortion seventeen. Like I guess as it's now known, right? Like, yeah. So obviously a, a Chinook that was shot. shot down with fucking a whole bunch of seals in it. And yeah. Oh yeah. There you go. You're right. Sorry, I was fucking yeah. As well, so I'm not losing my mind. Um. So yeah, why that was again? I, I struggle. I wouldn't say interesting because that's a bit fucking. Dis- disrespectful maybe, but we were at the time in Kushkidi, which was a valley up north of Chora. Uh, and why that was interesting from our perspective was that we were doing exactly what 
Maddie's guys were doing out in in uh, Kazakhstan. So we were working pretty closely with with US special forces, which as just regular infantry dudes is pretty fucking cool. Like you, <laughs> you're a digger, and it's like oh these guys are green berets and yeah. and we're we're going on patrol with them. You know what I mean? These guys have a good reputation. Um, so that was interesting work. But yeah, at the time we were doing a few joint patrols of these guys. Uh, they had a small, you know, as the ODA do, they have a very small team and they mm. train up like local Afghan. I think they had a, they weren't A&A. They were like a little quasi militia force kind of thing. And they nor were they police either. So they weren't Afghan police, they weren't Afghan army, but this own little partner force, I guess, at the Green Berets, and that's their bread and butter. They focus on, uh, what do we call it now? FID, Foreign Internal Defence. So training up a, a local force. And we stayed with them for quite a while. And that was, again, the omelette. Uh, Kells and I, and it was that same section. The guys who had been part of that, that um, that nav, the, the sniper night, sorry, sorry, the night ambush or night tick, whatever we want to call it. And at the time, there was this dude who was a he was a seal, and I remember he'd walked out and he was really he was really bummed, and it had come over the the radio. I think like oh, a helicopter went down with some seals in it, and at the time, it's like okay, yeah, that's horrible, like mm. whatever. As the news was coming out, then it was. Uh, forgive me, mate, if you got it there in front of you. I can't remember, but a lot of these poor blokes were tragically killed in this crash. I want to say there was like uh, 30, 15 of them or 38, 30, 38 occupants in that, go. Uh, in that helo. Yeah. So it was, I want to say, the biggest single day's military loss for the Stevie yeah. since, yeah. since, I can't remember when. It was huge. It was I think since deal. 2005, um, we had that, they had that 17, Wings, right? yeah, um, Marcus yeah. Luttrell, Lone Survivor stuff. Yeah, exactly. Because the Chinook went down there as well. Didn't exactly. It? Yeah, I've had yeah. one of the rangers um, on. I had one of the rangers on that was uh, recovering the bodies. Oh, really? On the, the uh, wings. yeah, they went out and did the recovery, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, hectic. Yeah, wild. Um, but yeah, so I remember there was this guy who was a seal. So it was mostly Green Berets guys, but there was one seal, and he was super like obviously down. And someone been like, "Oh, what's wrong, man?" And he was like, "I just lost like fifteen mates today in yeah. one go." It's like holy fuck, like. That's nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which fuck. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's crazy, crazy to have that many special operations people on one fucking helo. Anyway, uh, so the dentist. <laughs> this is uh, it's one of those things because this is you know before I knew who you were, uh, people were re- a few people reached out to me like you should get the dentist on. I'm like the dentist. Who is this guy? <laughs> and then I'm just thinking, Jason oh. Bourne. I'm thinking, you know, like it's some CIA oh, fucking dude that just rips out people's, <laughs> or some Taliban fighter that rips out, you know, tortures people by ripping their teeth out type thing. And then obviously <laughs> you, your name come up in the Coral Sea, and I'm like, oh, fuck, here we go. We're going we to an Aussie. Yeah. We're going to dentist. So, um, mate, run us through this. What is it? Yeah, let's, let's, I'll, I'll let's, send it, mate. So it, it's fine. <laughs> I'll, suppose, I'll get to the, the, the event first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably all makes sense. So, we were doing the task was it was a I suppose cordon search or clearance that would be the, the best way to describe it of a village not too far from from Fobloch there in Shora Valley, up towards the east. So in the direction of uh, sorry Mirabad from Chora. Uh, I remember the village. Actually, I can't remember the name. It was tiny, shitty little thing, and it was one of these ones where you know I'm kind of half paying attention during the brief and say like, okay yeah, I'm going to go search a village cool Kells and I are probably going to be in Overwatch cool nothing's going to happen <laughs> same cool. shit it's like different day going to be five compounds and a farmer cool like you know almost <laughs> yeah. wouldn't say complacent but I'm um, getting getting bored <laughs> like yeah <laughs> just thinking like oh fuck here we go another non-event task 
Uh, so we went out in the big convoy. And this is another thing, actually, why a lot of these big style clearances that us, as in the conventional forces, did were often so, maybe not ineffective, but were nowhere near as as, uh, as effective as they could have been. Because I'm sure it was similar when your trip. We went everywhere by vehicle. Mm. Uh, you know, we were Bushmasters and, and labs. So as you remember, anywhere you drive, there's a dust plume yeah. kicking up 500 massive. meters in the sky and yeah. anyone can see your convoy coming from yeah. fucking 15 Ks away. So yeah. the long story short is you're not getting anywhere quickly and you're not getting anywhere as a secret either. Yeah. So, you know, as you know, they have a spotter network that has ICOM radios and they all communicate to each other and they jump on these things and they have weird nicknames for us and they say, oh, the elephants and the- Red rats. What do they call us? Melon heads. Melon heads. I think the time. Yeah, they're calling it. I don't know if it's because of the helmet or whatever. The melon heads are coming. It's like, okay, how do you know? It's like, I can see the dumb cars like <laughs> the five k's away. It's like, you know what I mean? <laughs> the, and then that, yeah. not only that, because it's melon going heads. so slow because you've got to search for well, yeah. the engineers yeah. and the cab boys have to search way. for IDs yeah. the whole time. So you're going nowhere fucking fast. So this village can see you coming for like an hour in advance. <laughs> and if they wanted to, they could bury the fucking world's biggest horde of PKMs and RPGs yeah. and and come out smiling and you wouldn't be in on the wiser. <laughs> Conversely to like special operations. So the task force 66 guys who could just fang in, obviously, and obviously yeah. the incredible work they were doing, a lot of it was um, air mobile. So when you could fly in on a chopper and, and surprise a village. What you wanted to be. Crazy good work done. <laughs> Well, yeah, when you see these fucking choppers banging around and you- <laughs> yeah, so That's what I wanted to be. Anyway, so long story short, by the time you get to any village, there's like, not much like, they, they know you're coming. Mm. So sure enough, we get to this village. Kels and I go up on this uh, on this ridge line that's kind of parallel to the small town itself, the small village. Uh, we're providing overwatch. The clearance kicks through. They sweep through the, the town. They don't find anything. They speak to some locals. There's maybe like eight or ten compounds in this village. I've actually still got the sketch of it that I did in my notepad. Pretty cool. Um, and that's how I remember it. it was very small. It was like fuck all compounds. So they clear through by day. They The omelette or whoever the platoon speaks to some of the, the tribal elders. Like, oh, no, have you seen any Taliban? No, no Taliban here. Okay, uh, when was the last time you saw them? Oh, no, 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 for a long time. Whatever, cool. And I'm like, oh, man, this is another waste. Like, you know, and this is going to be now two days gone by the time we've driven out and back to this thing. And so I think it was, honestly, it was Kells who suggested that we do a little stay behind, like do a little faint, which turned out to be very successful. It was pretty much what kicked this whole thing off. So what we did was we made like we were leaving. The uh, majority of the the search platoon, I guess, they loaded up in the labs and the Bushmasters and they uh, they fucked off back into the desert, probably like five five Ks or so out where they couldn't be seen from the village. But um, sneakily, Kells and I stayed up on the hill and we also had with us a little uh, one of those electronic warfare guys. Mm. Um, to this day, I don't know who this bloke is, but if he hears this and reaches out, that'd be sick. But yeah, it was one of the. They have their fancy kit. I don't yeah. know the half of it, but they can hear enemy transmissions and they can roughly get a direction on where ICOM radio chatter is coming from. So it was Kells, I, this electronic warfare bloke, and his translator, who was one of those highly vetted um, Afghani interpreter guys, and then. As well, they left behind one section. This section was the same guys who had done that ambush. Like, oh, was it? So they're fucking warfighters. Yeah. yeah. So they're, getting, they're getting all the juice. <laughs> <laughs> um, they came up with us. They spent the afternoon into the evening like hiding an ROP. Come period of darkness, they infilled down into the village and they hid in a cornfield, which was pretty much in the guts of the village. And so the idea was that 
any bad guys who had been in the village or any caches of weapons or what have you had been there, they would say like, oh, the Australians have left. There's no more military forces. Let's get back to Taliban business as usual or doing bad guy stuff. Um, and then we were going to wait and then see all this. Sure enough, the next morning, uh, the guys are still hiding in the cornfield. We're up on our OP and uh, they started as normal. They had some old blokes come out, do their business, some kids knocking around, all that sort of thing. The kids were actually like running around in the cornfield where the where the guys were. Uh, they managed to stay undetected somehow. Mm. So that was sick. So they're hiding there in this village and the villagers didn't know they were there at this point. And then it was getting later into the uh, later into the day and I'm kind of thinking, oh, fucking hell, like it didn't work. Nothing's going to happen. It is just actually a sweet little Afghan charming village. They're all perfectly innocent, just <laughs> humble farmers scraping their just, etching a living out of just the dirt. Afghan battlers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly <laughs> Afghan battlers doing it hard. But I think then we started getting some chatter on the radio. So, again, from this electronic warfare bloke who can hear all this shit, and he's saying, like, oh, yeah, they they think we've left. They think the Australians have gone. They're saying, oh, yeah, the uh, the, the infidels or whatever have, have pulled out. Like, everyone could come out. The melon heads. Like, oh, yeah, the melon heads. Like, steady, Eddie. Might be on here. Something might be, might be going down. And then I'm scanning the uh, – I'm up on my OP, and I'm scanning. I've got binoculars in my hands. And I'm scanning the village, the compounds, and I'm going left to right, like fucking or right to left, whatever I'm doing, scanning my little sectors. And I'm like, oh, yep, nothing here. Nothing there, nothing there. Scanning the same eight compounds now for it's coming up on a day and I'm losing my mind. Like yeah. with fucking it gets tedious, right? Doing this OP kit. And then suddenly I'd see this bloke and he's like squatted. He's got his back to the compound and he's squatted his old bloke and he's looking right at me. And I'm like, why has he got his hands to his face? And then I like look closer and he's got binoculars and he's, oh, he's looking back at me. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember I've got my binos and I'm above this rock and I'm just like, oh, fuck my ass. And I just slowly start slinking back into the rock. Like, and I'm whispering to Kels at the same time, like, Kels, Kels, I'm fucking cut with binos. Fucking look at me. It's like, oh, man. <laughs> and then, so it was just like, it was a comedy, one of these comedic moments. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure I, I double taked on him. I'm scanning past the building, like, oh, yeah, boring, nothing. Nothing. This sucks. Uh, what the fuck? This cunt. So he's got Bino staring back up at me. <laughs> Kells comes up as well. And so now we're like, we're staring at this dude. Um, cheeky fucker. He had, I remember he had this little, because straight away I'm like, man, can we fucking, this guy's obviously a fucking baddie. And I think we had some other ICOM chatter at that point that was indicating there's something coming from the village. Mm. And I was like, is that fucking, is this the fucking dude on the radio or what? And I'm like, can we, can we fucking smoke this, this guy? What's going on? But he had like this little girl next to him. It was very Schindler's List. Like she had a, like a red floral dress. Yeah. And he's, she sat right next to him. And I'm like, you fucking cheeky cunt. Um, and he was pushing it. He was probably, I want to say he was over 700 meters. Uh, Some, you know, one off wind call here. And I'm sending a bullet into a, a, a female child. That, exactly. Yeah. Which I didn't fancy doing. So I'm like, yeah, no, let's, that's not even entertain that. Um, so we radio the guys in the cornfield. And we're like, hey, man, there's this fucking cat here with binoculars. He's staring at us. He's obviously a fucking baddie. Like, he's not, he's not bird watching. <laughs> he's looking right at me. Um, let's, let's go ahead and make some assessments that he's a, a player here. And they're like, yeah, no worries. He gets up. This all happens very quick, the next kind of sequence of events. He gets up at this point. He starts walking off. He's walking down towards this, this valley that leads away from the village. The cornfield guys, we've relayed this as well. I think at the same time, we've relayed this back to the... Uh, the platoon out in the desert holding and they're kind of getting spooled up to maybe come in and, and get ready to QRF in case something kicks off. The guys in the um, cornfield, they start moving towards this bloke. They've got some big wall they have to climb over at the time that's blocking them. 
At the same time, the uh, the EW guy, he's saying like, hey, someone down there is he's talking to guys in the hills. They're saying they're following me. Get ready to kill them. Get ready to kill them. Like words to this effect. So someone in the village was talking to someone up in the, the other surrounding mountains saying like, hey, be ready to fucking to back me up here, you dogs. Um, so again, this all happened very quick in the space of like five minutes. Two guys jump the wall uh, from this section. The others are still back on the other side of the wall. And they start chasing this bloke down, the guy who with the binoculars mm. who is now squirting from the village running up this valley. They're chasing him and they start yelling like, Dresh, Dresh, stop, stop, stop. Mm. He starts fucking legging it. He bolts straight away up this creek line. So we're like, holy fuck, she's on here. At the same time he's on the radio because we can hear the electronic warfare guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Icon. He's saying, like, they're chasing me. Kill them, you idiots. Kill them, kill them, kill them. <laughs> At the same time, the mountains, like there was another mountain perpendicular to where we were on, they just started some talibs up there that we obviously fucking hadn't seen up until that point. They started lighting up these two guys who were chasing him. So then they jumped over this wall. They're chasing him down up this creek line, and they're getting lit the fuck up from the mountain. Like I remember watching these two dudes. I might have even said to Kels, I was like, they're getting fucking pumped. Like what the rounds hit all around these two blokes and shit. And the rest of the section was stuck back behind the wall. So they didn't have – well, they had two choices. They could have fucking scrambled back for cover, gone over the wall, joined the comfort of the section, and then this mm. guy probably would have squirted. Or they could have pushed forward. And they did just that, man. They, they kept pushing this bloke. So by now, they're, you know, they're shooting at this dude as well because he's made it to a rock. Behind this rock, he's got a little cache. He's got a fucking AK. He's got um, ICOM, all this other shit, like pretty much where he would have hidden his stuff when we came through and did the clearance the day before. So he's gone to this, he's got his AK, he's blind firing, shooting over the rock at our two guys. But we're now being lit up from the mountainside as well. Um, like we can just see the first blokes, so the binos man who's now disappeared, who's now behind a rock, now engaging our two guys who are isolated pretty much in the open. And I remember by this stage I'd had the blazer up and I was like, fuck, he's just shooting at girls and he'll fucking smoke him. And just the blazer is obviously the straight pull bolt, so it cycles pretty quick. And I was like, ah, sent three really quick. Hadn't dialed on for that distance. Bit of a Hail Mary, mate. Like I said, this is all very quick. So between him leaving that compound, I'd swapped the binos out for Blazer. I'd had some data on already for that compound, but where he'd moved to now was probably a good yeah. 100, maybe even more distance meters further. So I sent three Hail Mary rounds at this bloke. Pretty confident I didn't hit him, but it got him like, eh, like ducking down yeah. behind the rock and shit. It was at least suppressing him from um, engaging the two guys. Kells at the 417 up. So, you know, at this distance, I think it was pushing close to 1,000 meters now. 16 inch 417. Kells is like mortaring 760. And that stage, we are, uh, we went, fuck this. We can't see him because of where he was in the valley. We didn't have good obs into it. We were kind of on an oblique. We wanted to be on a, a more, mm. a better angle where we could see straight up the valley and get clearer line of sight onto not only that bloke, but then whoever the fuck was up in the mountains shooting at, at our two boys. So uh, I traded out the blazer. I, for some reason, don't know why, but I'm glad I did. I brought both the blazer and the 50 up to this OP. So I grabbed the 50. We left um, the EW dudes there. And Kels and I boogied down probably a couple of hundred meters so we could be more in line with the, the guys in this uh, engaging this, this bloke behind the rock. Once we got there, um, it had pretty well settled down. The guys in the mountains had sort of stopped shooting by that point. Um I found out later, again, he was hiding behind the rock, like screaming, like, they're killing me, you idiots. Fucking shoot them, shoot them, shoot them. <laughs> and so the two guys who were stuck in the open, they were, they'd been getting engaged from the mountains. We couldn't see fuck all. We couldn't see where this fire was coming from, from the other mountains. Like, we could have blindly started lighting up the, the whole cliff, but it would have just been a fucking a waste of that. Mm. At that point, we were more, you know, we felt there was more value focusing on the guy on the ground who was closer to them. 
Um, so they closed with, though, the two boys out in the field, they closed with this bloke, uh, uh, killed him behind the rock. One of them had a Mark 48, or sort of a Maximi, the other yeah. 762 yep. Minimi. The other bloke was just a style, like a scout guy. So they pretty much did a two-man little assault clearance on this guy behind the rock um, and fucking got to within 20 metres or whatever and, and, yeah, finished him up nice and close while he was uh, returning fire up over the over the rock there. I remember a couple of weird little funnies out of that. I think they were saying that um, they thought he had a pistol or something at first because he, w- he was shooting single shot, which I think is is uncharacteristic for your, for an for your average Taliban. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, hey, it might have spoke to – I think I can't quite remember. Either the gun was fucked and his AK could only yeah. fire a single or he was on the off chance like a more disciplined marksman and was actually trying to return <laughs> some well-aimed shots. But either way, because he was firing single shots, I think it kind of made them a bit more uh, confident, I suppose, because yeah, they thought he only had a pistol or something because oh, they could just hear like pop, yeah. pop, pop, pop. But no, he had, a, he had this AK and one of those uh, the crazy embellished like whip the snipper wire and shit all around. You know, they like to decorate their guns. Yeah, and all the streamers and shit on it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway. So they closed with him, finished him. By this stage, all the fire in the hills had died off. Um, the guys up in the mountains probably just squirted. Kels and I were, were scanning up in these other hills looking for these, like the point of origin of the small arms fire. Couldn't find shit. So at this stage, we were just focused back on the scene, which was kind of dying out by now. So they closed with this guy, finished him, and were effectively going through a reorg. Um, the rest of the section had caught up by now. And it was at this point from this new position we'd moved to, Kels and I, we saw one other bloke um, walking through the village, like right to left, which as we looked at it was the opposite direction from where the contact had just taken place. Straight away, this was suspicious because everyone else in the village had battened down the hatches and was hiding for dear life, <laughs> as you would. Yeah. So this bloke's now walking through the village and it, again, had that comical like cartoony, I'm really in a rush, but I'm trying not to show him <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm not involved. Like, I'm, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like, fucking hang on, get a load of this bloke. And so Kels and I both looking at him and like, he looks like he's got a fucking a K, like an AK or, or a rifle or something down his right. So he had a really stiff right arm, mm. like wasn't moving his right arm at yeah, all, yeah, but yeah. his left arm was like swinging. And he had dish dash man robe on, so it was hard to see. I'm like, fuck, I'm like, Kels, this dude's fucking slippery. I reckon he's, he's squirting with something or he's, he's got an AK. And he's like, man, let's just keep eyes on him until we can fucking confirm what he's up to. Keeps walking through the village. And as he's walking through, he was calling kids out of the compound to walk with him, give him like a little oh, human shield bubble. Like, oh, nice one, mate. Now, you, may, you shouldn't have done that because then I wouldn't have been suspicious of you. But now yeah. I'm definitely going to keep looking at you, you fucking mad cunt. So he's walking through the village. He's getting further and further away. By this stage, we've relayed to the uh, platoon back in the desert. We're like, hey, get the fuck in here. Send the vehicles. Um, you know, we need to do some QRF and reorg all this shit. And this guy's squirting, 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 leaving the village in the opposite direction to the first bloke. And he's heading towards this valley, which if he disappeared around this valley, we would have lost all lines of sight on him and fucking would have been gone forever. Fuck knows where. And he's getting further away. And Raquel's was giving me uh, distance updates as he was walking. So he's like, okay, if he gets, when he gets out to track junction, he's 970. Yep. Tally 970. And I'm putting like clicks on my scope, like dialing up a bit more elevation every time. Okay. As he passes this next compound, he's going to be 1050. Yep. 1050. Roger. I'm dialing like elevation on my scope as he's walking further and further away. So picture he's walking away from us on an oblique angle, mm. like on a path that leads out to this valley. And he goes, when he gets to that bend in the track, he's going to be like 11, it was 1150 meters, 1150 meters or so. And I was like, yeah, Roger, 1150. So 1,150 meters, I'm dialing this on. And Kells gave me three clicks left for wind. I remember that. So I dialed three clicks left on. 
because the fuck the windage drum on my 50 worked fortunately unlike my fucking sr25 <laughs> so dialed three clicks left and i was like hey he's fucking kills he's got a fucking ak or something man he's gonna he's gonna squirt around this valley and we're gonna lose him and he's like fucking just give me a bit more and then the vehicles are, and he's like the vehicles are coming they're gonna interdict him and i was like okay yeah fair so the, the pmvs were flying up this valley um to catch up with this bloke and they just kind of entered the village they just started following him up this valley he was disappearing around and then he cuts he starts cutting shapes he's on the he's, he's heard the pmvs or the vehicles chasing him and he started fucking he's legging it he's now running out towards this valley and this again all very quickly so in between him hearing the pmvs he started running and he's getting to a spot where we're going to lose him and i remember like kelson and i had a brief exchange to the effect of i was like hey if he turns to engage the vehicles um i'm gonna light him up and he was like yep roger and so this dude's running like a fucking awkward style he's in because he's got something in his right hand and then just as he's getting to this point on the valley where he's going to disappear around this little ridge he like he he turns and it looks like he's going to do the like turn yeah. and then from the hip like spray a gun and at that point I was, i've been tracking him with the 50 gal the whole time just like set one straight away um really compromised position i was like half curled around a rock i had like bipod one longer than the other left hand holding bipod the other one supporting just fucked up position so that's another random interdiction you know sorry uh intermittent pro tip here it's never fucking nice and prone from the grass so really fucked up position i shot straight away in my mind's eye i thought i saw splash behind him and then kels straight away just goes dropped him i was like oh shit so he's we've We've dropped him. I don't exactly know where, but Kells was spotting through um through Bino, so he had better visibility than I did. I uh, I lost him in the recoil briefly because yeah. of that compromised, really unstable position. Anyway, so Kells says, "Yep, dropped him." And then not long after that, the PMVs caught up to him, and uh, this bloke, man, absolute mad lad. So where I hit him, he was he was running. He turned. He'd come to look back. I suspect to you know fuck how far away from me should I engage him, whatever. He turned rearwards, and just as I'd shot, he's kind of in the, the cutting shapes pose, like the running man pose yeah. with his head turning back. So I've hit him square in pretty much the left jaw, like the left lower mandible of his cheek. Um, mind you, this is – so this is our AMR. It's the 50 cal rifle. And I remember at some point hearing a myth like a kapooka. Like if you shoot a 50 cal near someone, it's only going to go with yeah. like a meter of them because it rips their right. You remember hearing that dumb yeah, one? Yeah, fuck. There's all these dumb yeah. myths like surrounding yeah. ballistics and shit. And I remember hearing that and I was like, fucking bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing fucking like that. Anyway, so I hit this guy in the jaw. I left like mandible side and he's then dropped from my vision. But when they came across him, so the PMV is not long after this, seconds. They came around that little bend in the valley and where he'd fallen, I couldn't see him again. But he was sat there, mate, like his hands up. So he was surrendering. He was surrendering and he, his face is just gone from from the nose down. There's a big, uh, just a bloody grotesque mess where he's got a few jagged teeth, just a fucked up, entirely gross face. He just looked gross, man. It was just nasty looking um, and no jaw. So obviously clipped him in the jaw. Weirdly enough, that was the round we fired was Ralphos, so NM140. Um, it's a multi-purpose fucking round. It, it'll fuck you up. Like that thing going off, it's, it's similar to a 40 mil going off. Yeah. Like it's got some ass to it. I think you had um, who's the you had uh, Dallas right, the Canadian fellow. Yeah, Dallas Alexander. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got now the long bomb yep. shot. Yeah, three and a half. So I think when they were talking about as well, they similar thing. They have Ralphos. Yeah, and you know, even if you if you land within like a meter of someone with Ralphos, you you're gonna fuck them up. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I was surprised. Like a it didn't like blow his head off in the face with Ralphos. Yeah, 
and he sat there with his hands up, like he's still got the wherewithal to surrender with his face missing. And B, like, how the fuck is he still alive? Like, this is crazy. Um, anyway, so it turns out these vehicle guys, so he'd surrendered fair and square, you know, following the fucking rules as we do, despite what some people would tell you. Uh, <laughs> they plucked this guy. So he'd sat there with his hands up. The PMV guys came around the corner um, and they, you know, cuffed him and them and the ANA started searching him. And it turns out what this fucking fella had done, he had been in the village. He'd gone to the two blokes, the two guys from the section who had launched that little two-man assault on the on the Taliban guy. He'd rummaged through their packs because they they dropped packs when they got contacted. He'd stolen a, a bit of fucking, without getting too into the technical kit, uh, term, a, a bit of ECM. Yeah, electronic yep. countermeasures kit, and um, one of those bio enrollment kits, the hide kits. So this dude's stolen them. If he gets across the border to Pakistan or wherever it is he's trying to go with that, and he can get away with his bio enrolled kit, yeah, that would have been fucked up. Turns out it didn't matter because now they've got all the bio enrolled kits. Fucking money can throw yeah. at them. Yeah, of ever course. Since <laughs> a couple yeah. of years ago, <laughs> since Biden gave, gave them another, all of them. That's another fucking story. <laughs> But at the time, you can imagine if they'd got their hands on a bio, yeah, exactly. it would have been fucking awful. Um, so that's what he'd done. And that's why, and that's why he was being a slippery gypsy and ah. trying to squirt out the village. He'd rummaged through their packs, stolen a bunch of kit, and was now trying to snivel his way out of there to presumably get to another village and then fucking get a big reward from whoever for handing this. Yeah. Anyway, so um, they pucked him up, and there's uh, there's a few gruesome photos of him because they were taking photos of him for. Obviously, real or not real, but you know, SSC purposes because mm. he had this kit with him. So, but that was a standard process. Anytime, uh, like a Taliban or, or someone was was killed, you would take photos of their body and their yeah. kit um, to see, you know, hey, look, this guy had fucking a PKM and he had this, that. So they got a photo of this dude <laughs> sitting there, fucking. It's just bizarre looking, mate. He sat there with all his all his kit out. And then there's like one of the ANAs holding his hair up, like holding his skull up by the back of his head. And he's just sitting there with his. His dumb, droopy, half missing face, like looking somehow incredibly sad with no jaw on. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I was, I didn't know this at the time. Like, I knew we'd hit him, but I didn't know any of these details. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Um, together later, and I spoke to these guys in the um, in the the cowboys who had done this, I guess, SSC on him. So anyway, they they parked him there, and then as we do, we call in a Kazavak for this bloke. So at this point, I'm sat there with Kells, like this is fucking like um, be like Chopper. You know what I mean? Yeah. Insane, <laughs> Drives like, him to the hospital. Shoot a bloke with a 50 cal, <laughs> bang, blow his face off, and then take him to fucking TK for AMAP or TK for AME. Yeah. That's the point of having shot him in the first place. <laughs> but here we were. <laughs> here, <laughs> here we fucking we... were. <laughs> so sure enough, they plucked him. Uh, sorry, like took him into custody. And then a bird came in, an AME bird. Some MPs got off first because the MPs were expecting a park, a prisoner. And they got off and they saw this guy sitting here and they were like, (laughs) (laughs) so then these medics get off and they were like, oh yeah, come here, fella. And they get him on the chopper and they took him back to TK, mate. Um, The story diverges in a few points from here. So what happened to that guy? I've heard numerous different accounts of. He's still kicking. And I, I truthfully don't know what the fucking, what the truth is. So he went back to TK. They did their best to mend his fucking face. However you do that, I don't know because, like I said, I never saw him in person, but I saw the photos they took of him mm. and he looked fucking gross, just missing his his jaw, his whole face. Um, so, you know, unless he's going to drink fucking boost juice for the rest of his life, like I don't know how he's going to chew. I don't know how he's going to eat. Uh, he's just fucked. Anyway, a few different stories I heard. I heard he went back to TK, um, got released back into the wild and and went on living a happy Taliban rock farmer life. 
<laughs> but another one, uh, he went back into the wild, was killed in a subsequent so command raid somewhere else. That was probably the least credible one I heard. But um, the most credible one I heard was from one of the guys who was an MP. He was involved in guarding him. He was <laughs> so a bunch of dudes were pissy at me too. Because about TK, they had to look, watch this. To look after him, yeah. Like, why couldn't you have just fucking killed him? Now I've got to watch him for fucking two weeks, you dog. <laughs> um, like, fucking whatever. Mate, you try shoot a cunt at fucking 1,100 metres while he's running. You tell, get back to me. Tell me how you'd fucking. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so the most credible one I heard was that he got released back into the wild and <laughs> died of, I guess you'd call it malnutrition, not long after getting back to his surely, little village. Because, as I said, what's he what's he fucking doing? How's he eating? How's yeah, he eating? Exactly. He's all infected, all fucked up. Fuck. But anyway, so I never saw that bloke again. But then um, we kind of reorged at this point. I think they came back. There was a radio call after he got back to TK, and they were like, what did you shoot this guy with? And it had this weird investigatory tone that I didn't fucking really like at the time. It wasn't, the radio call wasn't to us. It was to, I want to say the ground commander who was a captain, maybe lieutenant. But I remember Kels and I were listening to it and they were like, uh, fucking someone wants to know um, what was he engaged with. And I'm like, was this fucking going? What was I meant to use? Like, what's the problem? And then someone straight away, to be fair, I think it was one of the cab guys actually, just straight up. He was just like, uh, 12.7 millimeter multipurpose. And they're like, yep, Roger. In hindsight, I think they were just like, how the fuck did this happen to his face? Yeah. Um, but for a second there, I thought they were going to do something weird about like, yeah, why'd you fucking shoot him with 50 cal or something? Because like, it's all I fucking had. Like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it didn't go that way, but you know, you never fucking know, especially these no, days. These days, like, fucking hell. Every decision you make gets, gets questioned, right? Yeah. Um, so at the time, I remember being cross about that. I was like, fucking hell. But we got back to the guys in the cars and uh, they'd seen these photos of well of this bloke uh, that I think some of the engineers had taken before they arrested him and, and got him back on the Kazavak chopper. And straight away, um, and straight away, a few of the guys are making <laughs> other dumb nicknames and this pivots all the way back to where the dumb name come from. And I remember we were standing around the back of the Bushmaster smoking and joking. Like, you fucking, how'd you hit that cunt? I was like, yeah, just fucking mad skills, mate. Like, <laughs> healthy dose of luck, mate. Hitting a roll happily. Dude. Yeah. Dude, on the full screen. On sprint, the move. Yeah. Close to, he was close to 1,200. It was, I want to say Kells lazed him. Kells lasered him where where he dropped. And I, in my mind's eye, it was 1173 meters. It was the final distance. That was about where we clapped him. So he's dude on the full on the full pelt. And it was the first round I'd fired in anger of the deployment. And I got him technically in the head. Maybe not in the middle of the head, but yeah. still in my head. <laughs> so I'm like, fucking, yeah, let's see how you go, cunt. Anyway, these guys back at the PMV, they're like, so what happened? Like, where did it get him? I was like, oh, in the face. Like, his jaw's all fucked up. Like, oh, like, took his teeth out. Like, yeah, man, he's got, like, no teeth. He's he's fucked. And then it was like, yeah, man, we've been thinking about it. Uh, you fucking, the dentist over here stealing people's <laughs> teeth. And I was like, the- yeah, so that's where that came from. But straight away, my, my reaction was like, the dentist, that's fucking gay. Give me- and then it was like, right, oh, mate, you can be the tooth fairy instead. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> The dentist I'll, is all uh, right. I'll keep the, I'll keep the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome, mate. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Crazy stuff. So that, um, I can't believe it didn't kill that's him. That's the story behind that one. Yeah, can't believe yeah, crazy, it. crazy, eh? That's so, fucking just the luck of the draw for him. Mate, I ended up doing a bit of just uh, Googling on it later. So it turns out that Ralphos, that that round, it needs quite a bit of it needs to hit something pretty impactful for it so to fucking, set off the Yeah, explosive. gotcha, so, gotcha. So it just punch, it punched straight through him. him. 100%. So he would have clipped through, taken his jaw off. And then, like I said, I thought I saw impact in the dust, which is why I initially thought I'd missed. But at the same time, I was lost in recoil. And it's that long ago. It's hard to remember like what you saw at the time and what your brain's pieced together in hindsight. Um, 
but that round needs to go through like a lot of, of flesh. Like if you were to send it through human meat, it needs to go through heaps of it for it to detonate. Like for the most yeah. part, Ralph yep. like that, unless it clips. Maybe if you hit like a hip bone or something, yeah, pretty, something pretty hard, yeah. it might go off. Because it's got a – the compound of it is actually pretty crazy. I think it's a tungsten core penetrator, mm. and then the explosive is is RDX as well in there. So it's a bullet with a lot of ass behind it. That's hectic. And I just think hitting this dude's like squishy little meaty face yeah, wasn't enough to, to set it off. So at that point, it was pretty much like you got hit with a, a 50 cal ball around to the face, which – it's still fucking unpleasant by all accounts. But yeah. I'm- fucking hell. Well, mate, if uh, Terry Taliban is out there, well, fuck, I hope you're dead to start off with, you piece of shit. <laughs> but if you are out there listening, mate, <laughs> send us a message. <laughs> Let us know how you go, mate. I want to get this side of the story. I want to get this side of the story. I don't know what yeah. the hospital food is like. He's like, no, mate, no, I was, just, uh, I, was just, I was just minding my own business and fucking some cunt shot me in the face. Yeah, yeah, I was just running away with this equipment for no fucking reason. Yeah. What a uh, fucking stunning young entrepreneurial man. Um, fucking piece yeah, of Yeah, mate, shit. so that was probably that, – that story I think was what – it circulated pretty pretty rapidly, I think also because there was a photo affiliated with it. So the photo of, the, of old mate sitting there with all the kit that he'd taken and his gross fucking face, that went viral somehow. I don't know how, but oh, did it had been it- circulated through the army for years. Yeah, because it would show up in – um. It's on the internet. And how I know is because it would show up in – now, I haven't seen it online. Oh, actually, I've seen – you know what? I have seen one version of it online. Oh, yeah, right. Where oh. it would most pop up was uh, on like CFA courses and medical courses. Yeah, gotcha. The guys would go on a CFA research course and they'd show this photo and I'd take – it was always amusing to me because I'd, I'd heard – I've heard by this point like 50 different stories of what that photo is about. Yeah. So I've heard – Oh, did you? They, they put the photo oh, up. Yeah. yeah, and they go, okay, here's an example of a – of a lower mandible fucking trauma, whatever, um, you know, CFA medical shit that they're trying to learn from it. Yeah. And they go, this was a, a Taliban man who was he was he was chewing on a detonator and it went off in his mouth. And yeah, then like, you know, yeah, no. there'll be someone in the audience who's like, there are a few few times one of my guys would be on a CFA course and they'd be like, Oh yeah, no, that's not what happened. Fucking that's fifty cal. They're like, mate, if fifty cal hit a bloke in the face, he'd have nothing. Yeah. Left. Trust me, that's not a fifty cal. <laughs> that's it. In a fifty cal, just whiz past your head, you'd be dead. All right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Dumb army rumors, mate. Um yeah. so yeah, because of that photos, I think that's why it kind of it went viral. Uh and there were a few funny stories as well. Like someone was telling me they they bumped into a bloke on an Anzac day somewhere. And then, like he was, he was the dentist. I'm like, oh fuck, there you go. Where's oh, where, yeah. was that? Like Tasmania or I you don't got know, some imposters, mate? Or some you got shit. some imposters. Yeah, yeah. I shot a, shot a fucking dude, and it was like, oh yeah, right. But people, you know, they'd be like, hey man, did you did you shoot that the guy in the face? And I was like, yeah, yeah that was yeah, I did that. And then they'd be like, oh, okay, because I was speaking to this guy on on, and he said he did. I was like, really? It was that fucking. So just in in that circumstances, how it would come up, and be like, that's fucking. It's funny to me. Yeah, right. Um, Fuck yeah. Yeah, that's it, mate. That's no, the, uh, good story, man. I love it. Fucking, that's fucking. That's the exclusive, mate. Because I, you know, I don't often speak about it. To be honest, oh, like, yeah, if right. people ask me the story, I'll tell it. Well, fuck now, um, everyone, everyone knows who the dentist is. Good. I might have to make a movie about you. <laughs> 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 fuck no, it'd be fucking rubbish, mate. <laughs> um, now five minutes, five minutes long. That's the only cool thing I got. How was the rest of that trip? Were you pulling the trigger a fair bit after that? Uh, no, to be honest, we, I would say before us five, I probably had a collectively more, mm. um, kinetic trip for the snipers yep. as in they probably had more engagements and I think probably shot more people. We had for the most part, every, every pair or every sniper team 
got a few engagements. I'll put it that yeah. way. Yeah, nice. Um, various degrees of distance and uh, some of these were like in contact in the green, that kind of thing as well. Um, we had a bloke get fucking, he got stitched up by, in, by a full auto burst. Uh, I won't say his name, but he got stitched up from behind in the green. I'm not sure if it was a PKM or an AK or what, but he took, and it was like a vertical spread. It went like bup, bup, twice in the back plate. Yeah. And the third round hit the back of his helmet, mate. You know where the helmet came yeah. up? Oh, fuck. Went through the counterweights, went through the bracket, lodged in the helmet. Like how <laughs> fucking lucky is that? Um, so, yeah, they were patrolling away through through the green and then a dude had jumped out from behind him a talib and like brrr, let a big auto burst rip up the back of the uh, the patrol. And the dude at the back happened to be one of the sniper guys and he fucking bop, bop, bop. Two on the two on the plate, one in the back of the helmet, mate. So oh. super lucky. And I remember that why I remember that was because I'd gone on Rockle and I went to um I was in Sweden visiting mum. And uh I was in Stockholm knocking around there at some of the little Viking souvenir stores and I bought these little Viking pendants because fucking, you know, why not? Vikings are cool. Yeah. And uh I bought one for every dude back in the back in snipers. And so I took them back in country and I gave every dude a pendant, you know, this is Viking symbol for fucking strength, honor, whatever. And then he came back from this and he was like, your fucking bullshit Viking pendant almost got me fucking killed. <laughs> what are you talking about? And it's like his helmet and his fucking plate. And one of the other guys is like, you should be fucking thanking him, cunt. You got shot three times and didn't get a fucking scratch. Yeah. So the Viking um, pendant saved him. <laughs> so, yeah, that was fucking another bloke. That was one of the other snipers. We had another guy, uh, some of the Mirabad crew. They were fucking getting IED'd all the time. Mm. Um, so I think they were riding in the engineer vehicle a lot. So they got... Bushmaster PM uh, IED like three, four times or so. Uh, what the fuck else? Yeah, man, it was just the sniper team collectively had a few fucking close calls. And then, I mean, obviously, tragically, Maddie Lambert was fucking killed. Mm. Um, but even outside of, of his passing, there were some other fucking close, close calls like that that kind of like fucking hell could have been. It sounds shit, but it could have been worse, more horrible. Yeah. You know I mean, like losing one bloke is horrible enough. But, um, even that guy just getting tagged three times without a scratch. Yeah, fucking fuck. pretty wild. Yeah, fucking. There's definitely plenty of fucking stories like that. Um, and yeah, for sure. Even within the SF community as well, mate. So that deployment finishes up. You get home and obviously you're fucking burnt out. It's a, it, you know, eight, seven, what seven, eight months in Afghanistan. It's a fucking. It ages you. Like it. It's it's not a. It's not like fucking working on the railway. It. No, nah, I man, it takes um, a toll on the body and mind. Hundred percent right. Yeah, and like at, at that point too, that was like a lot of this was early on in the trip. Mm. Um, so Maddie dying was was tragically pretty early on. Uh, the jaw face guy was pretty early on as well. So then you know we had the whole rest of the trip, which then had other mind rendering experiences that fucking take it out of you as well, and you work up a toll because it's eight months, and even just eight months there is is a long fucking time. Like I was saying, I remember watching those five hour guys after eight months in, in Timor <laughs> yeah. on a peacekeeping trip when guys are, when there's people taking holidays and they yeah. were fucking frazzled. Um so yeah it does fucking take it out of you. And I remember when I got home that the the CEO at the time he had big aspirations to kind of he wanted to get back on the horse and you know have the unit get straight back into it. And there was like a in my uh, in my opinion then at the time a piss take amount of a leave that guys were going to have. After the trip, I can't remember what it was, but it was fucking small, like less than a standard Chrissy Chrissy stand down break. And so at that point, I um I applied for leave without pay and took six months off army. And oh fuck yeah, again, here we go. Did my fucking travel the world bit, yeah. Which 
on that, I just I'd super recommend to people in the military. I would super duper recommend six months leave or sorry, leave without pay as an option. If you're at that point where you're kind of man, this if you're at that point where you reach peak jadedness or peak apathy and you you don't know if you want to keep doing army, but you think maybe you you fucking do, you're just not sure. Like I super duper recommend that as an option for, for yeah. people who are at that stage. Yeah, mate, a few a couple of guys have had on have said that. They've taken a six really? months, yeah, one one year fucking leave. Someone else said it and they left. They took a one year off and just fucked off to Canada somewhere and s- smoked a whole bunch of weed and snowboarded and that was it. And, got, <laughs> and then got back in the army, you know what I mean? Like and then it was it was like yeah, an yeah. absolute reset. They got back and they're just like, Fuck, I'm I'm back and this is I'm I'm loving the army again. Here we go. But uh Yeah. Yeah, right. So you take the six months off and you didn't get pegged or anything like fucking Matt Williams did. <laughs> what? Yeah, he went to fucking. He went <laughs> nah, to. Mate, he got to Finland. Like a good time off. He went to Finland and got pegged. It's on my podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think I can top that, mate. Um, he said it was. A, it was the second time he got. He said it was the second time he got fucked that year because he he got cancer. <laughs> he goes, oh, oh Jesus, got fucked bloke. two times. Yeah. Oh fuck. He, oh, he's a good cunt. But yeah, he is. No, I didn't hear that. <laughs> and I'm not uh, going to try top that, mate. Yeah, <laughs> chilled out, travelled, had fun. Didn't get pegged, but um, <laughs> yeah, get, time, not that you know of. <laughs> <laughs> not to my knowledge. Yeah. So you get back, get back to the battalion mates, and feeling somewhat refreshed, and you're just back into courses. Obviously, at this stage, uh, Afghan is starting to wind down. You know, for the regular side of things, and I think there was a, a Taji trip to Iraq, and that's really about it for the infantry. It started. That's it. It's tying up. So you get onto a bit of you know doing a, a few other. Sniper concentration courses and all this type of yeah, stuff. Yeah, mate. So this was um this became the the great big dry spell for especially two RR because mm. at the time they were developing the amphib capability, which meant that fuck me, there was no deployments going for for the longest of times. So they started getting guys into into Kabul for FPE, I think around 2019 or 2018 ish. But from MTF three, us getting back from Afghan and and around then there was no the unit just wasn't getting trips, so it was a weird. It was an unfortunate situation for some of the the guys who were by then junior. You know, if they joined to our yeah. round or after TF three, I had to watch all their mates and all the other units go through what was left of these uh, Afghan rotations, and then Taji, uh, sorry, the Iraq bit kicked up as well, and they weren't involved in that. Um, so I can see how it would have been super disheartening, disheartening for these guys to, to have to see that going on around them. Uh, with that being said, though, that the period after my leave without pay after Afghanistan, and then probably up until. 2014, I I look back on fondly as some of like my best times in the military. Yeah, which is is super interesting to think about because it's not it wasn't a deployment, it wasn't a trip, it was just one of those periods where super good crew, everyone really tight, getting some amazing opportunities from army outside deployments, um, and just a few big wins in terms of some of the kit we were doing. And really tight sniper cell. Really, you know, I'm not sure if you had that that same glory kind of phase you look back on in your career. Yeah, it was in or outside of deployments, but no, definitely, mate. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy because you, yeah, as you said, you live for deployments, but then there's times, you know, when you're doing an X or a a competition as you were doing dog cup and sniper. Yeah, for sure. Competi- you know, and that's Canadian sniper like, competition. Super Did you recommend go- fucking? I super recommend that to any like there's diggers out there. I'm and eyeing about dog cup. Uh, it's just an awesome, awesome activity to, mm. you know, again, cliche, test yourself. But the resources you get thrown at that as well in terms of training time, the event itself, um, and you just you upskill yourself. You yeah. upskill yourself as like a young infantry soldier really, really well. 
by doing stuff like Dog Cup. And, mate, I thought really highly of it, actually. It was a super good period. And, again, yeah, this glory period, mate, we had a bunch of us. We did our, our Perth. So SASR had just started this their own sniper competition. So they ran this awesome event in 2012. So they had all the RAR snipers. Uh, and at the time, again, there were a bunch of us who'd been through Afghan. So we were pooling a lot of Afghan knowledge. I think um, us, like some of the 5 RAR guys who'd been before us, they were on it. That was just an awesome event. They put on a, a great competition. Uh, after that too, I think the same uh, – sorry, that was 2012. Yeah, and then they did the same thing in 2013, 14. I think it it, it faded away, but they mm. ran that thing three years in a row. It was a fucking really awesome event. Um, and then this other good stuff the Army was was giving away at the time. Well, not giving away, but uh, opportunities we were getting. So there was Dog Cup 2013, super recommended. Uh, the same year went to Canada and did the Canadian sniper competition. Um, same year as well, Cambrian Patrol, which is like the UK version of Dog Cup. That's um, that is what it is. You get to hump around the the mountains there in uh, what do they call it, Brecon, and Sandy Bridge Training Area. It's pretty gnarly, but it's only two days. But then the rest of it, you got some time off in London. So it's you and fucking ten of your closest fucking mates just ripping and tearing through Piccadilly Circus and, <laughs> <laughs> and cutting sick over there, mate. So it was a good time. And yeah, this is just one of those periods that I look back on super fondly. Like I think at the time I was a corporal team leader by the end of this period, really good crew and just fucking an awesome example of some of the shit, the good opportunities the army gives you outside deployments that are just super rewarding, really fulfilling, and you can have an amazing fucking time doing. Yeah, right. Ed, you see the the light at the end of the tunnel. It's time to pull the pin on your Australian regular yeah, army mate. career. What, what's what's the thoughts here, mate? It's just just had enough. Look, I'd say so. Yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd kind of reached the point where I, I had done my sergeant supervisor time, so I went back to two RR snipers as, as a sergeant. I did a brief stint in there at School of Infantry, where I was involved in the um, the combat shooting program for two years there. So that was amazing as well. I could, I fucking won't waffle about that. But, uh, so I went back and finished my time at two RR snipers, and then I remember when I was doing sub one sergeant, I mate, it was. It's an eye-opening course. I, I super hated it. A lot of mm. people don't. Like it, <laughs> it can depend on your experiences may vary. Mate, I, I loathe sub one sergeant kind of just because it's that peek behind the curtain of what what the rest of your time in the army is going to look like. Yeah. Like as a as yeah. a sergeant, as a senior NCO, as a administration as a warrant, as a warrant yeah. officer, mate. And yeah, I was just I remember being on sub one sergeant like this fucking sucks. <laughs> like this is I don't enjoy what we're learning here. Um, it's not even that it's particularly complicated or challenging. It was just, I found unengaging. Um, conversely, shout out to SOI again, like sub two sergeant, I thought it was a pretty red hot course. That yep. was a good fucking program. Like in terms of preparing a platoon sergeant for how to do platoon sergeant shit in the field, in the tactical context. Amazing. Sub two sergeant, red hot. If you're, if you're listening, give that a go. Um, sub one sergeant, man, did not enjoy. Some guys might not mind it, but yeah, that was around the time I was like, Ugh, fucking, is this what I'm, what I got to look forward to. And then I went went back uh, to 2RR. Around that time, I was getting um, opportunities, offers for for other work outside Army. Uh, and I was kind of umming and eyeing about these. Probably similar deal to yourself, I think, mm. when you left you left military straight for uh, for security. Industry. Yeah, straight to fucking, yeah, security. What year, what year yeah, are we yeah. talking here for you? Uh, my last year in Army, fucking hell, I can't remember numbers. I left Army early 2021. 
Oh, fuck. You're that fresh. February 2021. Yeah, fuck, mate. mate. You're up. still green under there. They're under that fucking shirt. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell. The green to the gills, mate. Yeah. yeah. So early early 2021. And at the time, I think then I'd done – that was just over 15 years. So I just pick, I picked up Parramatta not long before that. And, yeah, it was – I was staring down the barrel of – okay, I've done my two-hour sniper supervisor time. And as I mentioned like a few times throughout this throughout this chat, mate, like – we had a really strong legacy, I suppose, in that cell. Yeah. And so I remember thinking, okay, this is it. I've done two hour sniper time. I'm now never going to get to be a sniper ever again. That's it. There's That's no it. other fucking yeah. opportunities. The only opportunity past that is if you pick up the sniper master position at SOI and then you're running, you're doing effectively a similar job to the, um, the supervisor, but you're running the the other courses down there. So that's the only thing you've got to look forward to. And then that's a competitive position because that's mm. one of them. And it's... It's a weird thing. So I don't know. I'll quick rant on like if they made it more appealing because retention is obviously a, a, an issue at the moment, I, I believe, post me leaving even in early 2021. Um, it's, a, it's a weird thing where it's hard to or there doesn't seem to be much leeway in accommodating people doing the things they want to do or are passionate about. If there had been some sort of sniper stream, like a sniper school or a sniper career path where I could have kept doing that for not maybe not forever, but for longer, I certainly would have reconsidered my options to leave defense a lot fucking harder. Yeah. So it's it's a weird thing, you know, the model of defense. I get they have to move us around. But um, people with experience, you know, you like, have, like yourself. Yeah, like, if fuck. you have people who are capable, qualified, passionate, experienced about their trade and would stay if they could stay in that trade, I don't know. I think there should be opportunities given or looked at there. They might be keeping a few more fucking people. Mm. So it's, it's just an interesting one for me, mate. That's uh, if the ADF is listening. Walk eye, if you're listening, mate. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, the big dog. Yeah. Oh, he's not the – I don't even know. He's he's not – I'm not very up to date, mate. He's not fucking – who's chief of army now? Different. Um, oh, it's a new one, isn't it? Fuck. I was only I just looking the other day. Let me quickly Google it. Let up. Chief Let up, Jenny. of army is – oh, fuck. It's come up with the American. Chief of army, Australia. Can't be like, oh, it's fucking. Um, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. These cunts. Yeah, right. I'm going to get cancelled. <laughs> Simon Stewart. AOD. Of course, yeah. he's got a DSC. <laughs> oh, oh a one, DSC. one of those yeah. guys. Mandatory, hey? mate. Yeah. yeah. There you go, Simon. He wrote himself up. Yeah. Consider, uh, consider specialists staying in their trade might keep people in yeah. to remain in the organization. Come on, Simon. Simon says. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, so mate, obviously, yeah, you get that. Uh, you just like fucking. It's uh, I, I can't be the dentist anymore, so I I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to stay in. You, you put your discharge in and uh, move on to greener greener pastures. Yeah, mate. So I'm uh, I've separated. I I work in the uh, the UAE now. Um, I'm still fucking employed. I'm not a, I'm not a bum for anyone wondering. <laughs> um, but yeah, outside the defense, outside obviously the Australian fucking army. Um, and I guess that's kind of comes, brings us full circle to launching CSRC and then getting involved in Instagram and, uh, coming across paths with blokes like yourself. So yeah, it started off kind of just as a, a side hustle slash hobby. Um, I guess small business in a way. Um, the business side of it's pretty fucking gnarly though. That's hard yakking, mate. I'm sure mm. you'd, yeah. you'd uh, I think we we're talking about it before, but 
And you see like Instagram influencers and shit. And it's like, oh, that's fucking easy. It's fucking. Yeah, no. It's, it's harder yucker than it seems. This it's, isn't like a woe is me story, but. Yeah. Yeah, you'd know from running multiple social media accounts oh, and even all this. Oh, never ending. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the, the CSRC thing, it's, it's, it's keeps me entertained, mate. Honestly, I, I look at it as much as a hobby. I like engaging with the people that I'm speaking with. Mm. Um, you know, still keen people out there in the fucking in the army back home. In oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And then some of the uh, some of the stuff I'm doing, you know, like those little educational guides, and just trying to think about what what information is is lacking or maybe not easily accessible because diggers aren't using the current resources like the Cove, like the open source. Um, there's forums and all this sort of kit that, you know, they talk about. And there's those little newsletters that no one fucking reads. Mm. So, but every digger sits on his toilet, or sits on his toilet, sits on the toilet with his phone playing on Instagram. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of where this, the idea for these little quizzes. So I run that Friday quiz and it's just pretty much a GMK. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mate, I, I love some of that content. It's fucking, it's fucking great, mate. Like even just like yeah, you do mate, the, so, the you know, like in India, this is the type of weapon they've got or this is the fucking exactly. manpower. I'm like, fucking, oh, I don't even know half that yeah, shit. Yeah, that's the idea, mate. And it looks sort of the inspiration for this came out in uh, 20, I can't remember, 18. Yeah, no, I lie. 2019, I was um I was heading up the dog cup team for two hour hours. So mm. I wasn't a participant. I was like the manager slash coach, whatever. And we were running a lot of, there's this fucking app on your phone called Kahoot. And it's they use it at, at schools and shit. And it's like a little quiz app thing. Mm. Um, everyone types in a name and then it gives you results and feedback. And you can see like which digger's been studying his GMK and which dude's been at the Mad Cow all fucking weekend, all this sort of thing. <laughs> um, I fucking did, mate. I every time I'd run one of these, <laughs> briefing up this group of, you know, delinquents, right, everyone fucking make sure you use your real name. When I'm marking it, I don't know who's fucking who if you use some bullshit dumb name, okay? So make sure you use a real fucking name in the stupid Kahoot. Got it? Yeah, you know worries. And then I'll go to market and it's like fucking big dick slayer, 69, 69, <laughs> fucking, I don't know, titty tornado, yeah. 28, like you fucking dickheads. Anyway, so running um, running training like that that was engaging, it used your phone. Is it, yeah. Um, and it's accessible. That was kind of gave me the idea to like, hey, I think maybe people can learn. Instagram can be used as a force for fucking good. Yeah, exactly. And maybe be a way to impart some um, some good knowledge. And there are some other crazy, crazy good fucking Instagram, uh, as you would have seen as well, guys putting really good kit out there that are making debatably way fucking, at the very least, it's more accessible and quicker mm. than any information you can get. Like if you're in army, like what are you going to do? Pull up a fucking Pam off DRN or yeah, up up to the two shop and be like, hey, what's the latest on Chinese anti air system? Yeah, um, or you can just sit in your cages because you're bored and that's what you're doing anyway, and look up fucking these pages on Instagram. There's like your tank diary and your AFV recognition. Yeah, shout out to these two. Um, and then the geolocation stuff. Have you seen that? Yeah, that yep. freaks me out. Yeah, like, that's nuts. These Instagram pages who can you know they take a photo of it's obviously a big deal out of Ukraine and Russia now. Like, oh, here's this Russian tank, and he looks at a tree and a bend in the road. I know exactly where it is. And he's like, here you go, it's fucking at this grid. Crazy, eh? So this is all kind of stuff, like, I don't know. In a, in a way, I'm glad. Imagine if the Taliban had had fucking Mavic drones. Yeah, yeah. DJIs and all that shit that they've got now. You know that, what I mean? Like, it's fucking getting scary. It, well, ex- exactly, mate, exactly. Fuck. Imagine if they had Instagram. <laughs> 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 have you seen uh look it's funny you mentioned that because there's they got a twitter a they got twitter run, twitter you yeah twitter, mate, they got and a it's twitter. off tap yeah it's I- fucking cooked i remember they were seeing <laughs> who was it they're like they're calling someone 
one of the it was either UK or America. Some politician was yeah. just like, "Oh, we condemn the fucking Taliban," and they they were slapping back with like, "Just fucking condemn these nuts and just all this shit." Retweeting, <laughs> yeah. condemn these nuts. It's fucking funny. <laughs> yeah, fuck no. It'd be I great if they had, it'd be good if they had fucking Instagram. We can tag them in. <laughs> Remember that time when uh, the dentist fucking shot your face off. <laughs> at Taliban, yeah. At fucking what was his? What would his name was it? Mullah Omar Rosie or some shit? Yeah, fuck, mate. Yeah, you know we've been chatting for a good two and a half hours. It's been fucking Jesus. just yeah, man. Fuck, absolutely fucking cool. Just to hear your life story and you know the story uh, behind the you know the man behind the Coral Sea, mate. Like the rating. Is it company, company or co? Should I company? Take your pick, mate. It's it's not our. Yeah, it's, it's fucking. Honestly, did, I thought up the cool name before I thought up the idea. So, <laughs> look, honestly, I'm thinking of changing it. Here's a little. Oh, yeah. Oh shit! Here we go. It to just the the bloody. I'm thinking of changing it to the Coral Sea Resource Center. There you go. There's a fucking. Well, is it it's just political? Just Greek? because it accurately, more accurately, honestly, and also rating co's cringe. Let's be real. Oh, it's oh, another yeah. fucking. It's another. It's another veteran. Apparel brand with uh like uh there's like a meme about it, mate. It's like pick your veteran t-shirt brand and then you throw yeah. a cart at like, yeah. like dyna- dynamic results. No, yeah, um, it was a generator. Like custom rating for yeah, exactly. Google your, generator. Uh, veteran apparel co generator. Where do so you I'm live? Council. Yeah, Coral Sea. Yep, sounds good. <laughs> yep, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> I'm keeping Coral Sea. I like that. I like the Coral Sea. Yeah, oh fuck. Well the listeners, mate. Let mate let, let the let your people decide, mate. You've got, yeah. you know, thirteen thousand oh, followers. Note, Sorry, real quick, real quick. The Coral Sea is off the northeastern coast of Australia. Yeah. It is not off the eastern coast of Ukraine. Oh, yeah. For the people who, who <laughs> message me, confusing it's- the fucking... <laughs> Confusing the Coral Sea with Crimea. Cry- for some reason, think like my page is, is Ukrainian or Russian. Oh, do they? The Coral Sea is off yeah, the right. coast, northeast coast of yeah, fuck. Australia. Yeah. There was a infamous battle there in World War II. You can look it up, the Battle of the yep. Coral Sea. You fucking... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's throw that out. I thought I'd fucking oh, Jesus Christ, fucking iron this out once for all. <laughs> that's just that's just the Taliban just fucking message you, mate. They're just going, mate, no. Yeah, yeah mate. It's their ID and I. They're trying to wind me up. <laughs> as I said, mate, yeah, it's been great to get that whole story of who you are uh, as a person and obviously your military career and how the, the, the dentists come along. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone yeah, needs any, now, yeah. if any bad guys need any teeth work, I've got the guy for you. <laughs> yep, cheaper than turkey. Yeah. For the cost of an NM140. <laughs> Mate, I've got a couple of final questions that I ask all my guests. And first question is, what advice can you give to people just to fucking keep on keeping on completely? Any goal they set their mind to, just fucking kill it. You know what I mean? Like you've you've had a, a well-established career, you know, all the way from fucking Franklin's. Here you are in the UAE, just living it up. Look at me. I made it. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> that, that store manager at fucking Franklin said, I'd never go anywhere. Look where I am now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, mate. Oh, <laughs> uh, look, it's a tricky one because it's you know I feel it's hard to give advice in these in these examples without coming across as, as contrived or, or saying shit that's cliche. You know mm. what I mean? Um, but with that being said, I think a lot of the advice that sounds cliche or is repeated is because it fucking works. You know what I mean? If it, if it's simple and I would say principle based, then it's probably sound and it's repeated a lot for a reason. So with that being in mind to answer your question in short, I would suggest like consistency. If mm. I had to find one word that kind of summarizes, hey, give me some some 
red hot advice for whatever it is. Um, just be consistent and maintain it over the course of whatever it is you're trying to fucking achieve. Uh, I don't want to come across like, you know, self-help shit, but it is just fucking that. I remember reading a thing even when I started CSRC that most businesses or everything like this fail within fucking 12 months of it. If you can just stick to it, even when it gets fucking tough, then you're more likely going to exceed or succeed rather in the long run. So uh, I'll give you that one, mate, consistency. Yeah, nice, mate. Yeah, exactly right. Look, consistency uh, applies with fucking anything. Uh, fitness, uh, mental health, fucking work, yeah. anything, man. Like that's yeah, that's a good word. Well, why I like it as well is because it's a massive tenant of precision shooting, of sniping, of being a good, being consistent, uh, accurate marksman. Yep. Is consistency. Yeah. It's being able to apply your position, your trigger press, your cheek weld, everything you do when you get behind a rifle. The more consistent you can do it, and any good coach or like marksman or sniper coach will tell you this: the more repeatable and consistently you can do the same thing over and over again when it comes to shooting, the better you're going to get. So it's an yeah. easy takeaway from um, my sniper experience. Yeah, right. And that's awesome, mate. That's awesome. And uh, mate, second question: What is the plans for the future? As you said, you are working in the UAE at the moment. Um, you know, doing a bit of advising. What what is the plans? You know, hang around there for a bit, come back home, back down to Sydney. Yes, mate. It- yeah, in short, um, in short, yes, I don't have sort of many long-term plans, uh, kind of riding the, going with the flow over here for now. But yeah, the, the plan is to come back to Australia. Mm. Um, as you'll know, mate, with most Australians, we, we come back to Australia. Yeah, of course. Which of is, course. I don't know, it's a funny thing because you would have met probably guys from the UK. or even They live in Australia, yeah, they'll never go back to the work. UK. Yeah, yeah, mate. And they, they often don't want to go back home. No, they no. want to move anywhere but back where they came from, but... Just uh, I think it shows how good we've got them, mate. Most Aussies invariably end up coming home. Yeah, yeah, right. A- any any work aspirations or anything? You... Oh, but I haven't thought that far ahead. Maybe the... have not thought yeah. that far ahead. Yeah. So there's the thing about UAE. There are still even outside like the work I'm doing now. There's there's good opportunities here. Like yeah. it's booming, fucking grow on place. If you were to mm. uh, start small business or your entrepreneurial kit, all that sort of thing. There's um there's lots of opportunities here. So yeah, I'll see what I can make of this. This stay over here, mate. But of course, one hundred percent, we'll come back to um, yeah, we'll come back to Australia. Would you? It's c- funny you mention it because uh, I probably wouldn't end up in Sydney eventually at some point. Yeah, um, I'd more see myself somewhere back like Brisbane, but also like Newcastle. Yeah, is uh, it's probably one of my favourite cities. Like yeah, mate. If I I could one hundred percent live in Newy, I love that. It's, yeah, mate, it's great. It's big enough that it's got that fucking. City stuff to do, but it's yeah. not so big that it's got pain in the ass. City stuff like Sydney does. Yeah, that's yeah. fuck, mate. Like my, our, my traffic jam here in, in in Newcastle is fucking nothing. It's like they'd be like <laughs> they'd be like a thousand cars. Like this is bullshit. This this is bullshit traffic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. go down to Sydney, like fuck, kill me now. But yeah, uh, mate, mate I'm from Brisbane stuff. originally, so but yeah, New, Newcastle, Newcastle's the home. Uh, third question now, just to bring you back down to that fucking normal uh, bloke level, human level, mate. Tell us something that people don't know about you. Absolutely, that no one knows about you. Uh, you know, a guilty pleasure or something. Right. I know you're a dirty prick from two hour, so you're probably into, yeah. I don't know, the big, bigger girls or something. Lick date. <laughs> 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 Fucking smash me. Um, mate, something. Oh, Jesus Christ. You're asking the hard hitting shit here, mate. Yeah, mate. This one um, always catches people off. Yeah, for sure. That's why you fucking do it. Very good. That's why you got a good podcast. Mate. Yeah. The fucking the secret source questions <laughs> this, at the end because everyone's, yeah. everyone's tuned off by now. That's they it. Hear these ones. Yeah, that's yeah, so yeah. Come on. No, this is what I that, this is what I <laughs> <hope> for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, fucking hell. 
Mate, I listen to Mariah Carey when I'm at the gym. That's my big fucking thing. Just Really? Yeah, it, it, I find if I listen to heavy metal, I just want to go fucking punch people and throw fucking weights around. If I listen to Mariah, it just brings me back down to the normal human level. Like, you know what? I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to go kill people with dumbbells. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, okay. Um, oh, look, mate, look, on a similar, on a similar note then, I, it's not so much a secret to people who know me closely, but I could – I think in my mildly autistic brain, slight potential underlying Asperger's diagnosis, I could at one point quote, like, not just the film, but the script to the movie Predator. I no mean, way. like, the opening sequence and probably the first 10 minutes in. Don't ask me to do it now. I'll fucking, I'll cave on yeah, the yeah. lights in the audience. But I don't know why I thought that was a good idea or why I thought it was funny. But, um, yeah, man, just weird cinema brain that can remember dumb, useless movie trivia <laughs> and then not do anything good about it except fucking make a sausage of myself for the most part. <laughs> yeah, that was that was one, to be fair, that only I'd only ever done that for like two people, two of yeah. the boys in snipers. Yeah, right. Yeah, that was a little party trick slash fucking guilty pleasure slash dumb secret. Mate, I could, I could quote the script to the introduction of the film Predator. Helicopter lands on watch pad fucking impoverished village yeah. in the distance across Fort Creek line. Close-up shot, Colonel Dutch Shaper. Oh, sorry, yeah. Major Dutch Shaper, blah, 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 blah. I won't do it now. But Dylan, you yep. son of a you bitch. <laughs> Dylan, What's yeah. the matter, huh? CIA got pushing too many pencils. <laughs> Take it easy on me, Dutch. Classic, mate. It's the best Tully movie of all time. If you go to Tully, you've got to watch Predator. Either before mate, or it's funny because that uh, it's almost like, I don't know, probably the cops and Ambos and that probably do it, but it's a military thing. We quote so many fucking movies. Like everything you do is just quoted on a movie. It's sick, eh? It's <laughs> I'm sick. just a dune playing a dune. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't get away with that now, would he? No, nah, oh, fuck no. Old Tropic Thunder. <laughs> now, uh, again, mate, actually, before we go, mate, if people want to reach out to you, obviously can find you at Coral Sea Rating Co. on Instagram. Yes. Yes, mate, that's best. Um, that is best. The CSRC Instagram account. There is a, a Facebook. I'm not as active on it. Um, but fucking, yeah, Instagram, the CSRC. Uh, is definitely the place to reach out if you've got any questions you want to ask about the brand or or any suggestions. I love suggestions for what guys want next because mm. I'm always doing those little developmental information slides, I suppose, mm. um, focusing a lot on China at the moment Ch- because I get that the other can't outright just be like, hey, we've got a fucking train to go to war with China, even though they're saying it every way they can without actually saying it. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Slide the DMs if you've got suggestions for – to kit you are want from the information wise, uh, especially appreciate that. Like from the diggers, like from guys in the units who are like, Hey, we really want uh, to know about this or there's missing information gap regarding that X capability. Um, what can you do? That's yeah. stuff. I love it. I'll see if I can get it done up. Mate, you know, a, a good one would be the Taliban. What have they got now? Yeah, absolutely. That'd be awesome. Um, actually. I can throw real quick. This is not mine, but shout out another a page. I don't even know it that well, but mm. I know there is a page for what you're saying. I think it's called Afghan, Afghan Ozint. So if you're keen on that, like what's going on in Afghan at the moment and what the <laughs> legitimate government of the Taliban are up to, uh, Afghan Ozint, I think is in Instagram account for yep, that kind of yep, thing. Yeah, yeah, right. Far out. Well, they've probably got more stuff than the fucking Australian Army, that's for sure. <laughs> I reckon they would at this point. It's fucking crazy. Though. Thank you, Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Good job. This, mate. Good job. Actually, I was just hearing the yeah. other day about uh, Trump was on another podcast with the Nelk Boys. Love the Nelk Boys, funny shit. And he was oh, saying, yeah. yeah, he was saying, Trump was saying that obviously his plan for the Afghan withdrawal was leaving Bagram. Bagram and Kabul were going to stay. 
That was he was going to be skeleton, skeleton crew out at Bagram, two and a half thousand fucking you know just a, a multinational force out there, maintain the embassies and etc in Kabul just to keep it fucking flowing. So that was that was his plan. Not not a probably would have done the trick, eh? Yeah, even, just as yeah, a, de- even a deterrence alone, maybe. Like, yeah, don't know about leaving overnight type thing. <laughs> oh fucking Terry Taliban! What could go? Yeah, what could go what wrong? Could, what could go wrong? Fucking, we saw what we saw. Oh. What went wrong, that, yeah. <laughs> Blokes hanging, uh, dangling from fucking helos, trying to fly black hawks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking Jesus. classic. Yeah, and uh, couple skydiving team. Oh Jesus! Yeah, that was fucking spicy. <laughs> hectic, hectic. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, oh yeah. Just in regards no. to that, what were they thinking? Could like, rant about it for ages. Yeah, yeah, mate. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I'm you know, hanging on the side of a fucking plane. Yeah, I don't know. Desperation. The theories. The theory is there. The theory is there. Yeah, the intention was good. <laughs> Execution, not so much. Yeah, mess, mate. It's a mess. Everyone can agree it's a fucking mess. Yeah, Everyone absolute please. mess. Absolute mess, mate. Again, I appreciate you giving me your time. Uh, I know you're a busy bloke in it, the mate. UAE, just kicking back, drinking. Fucking pina coladas and living the high life, driving around in Bugattis, etc. Someone's got to do it, mate. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. And uh, yeah, mate, appreciate you and uh, definitely stay in contact, mate. I was actually speaking with uh, a bloke. He's actually out there uh, doing the same shit as you. And I'm going to try and pass through there in the next uh, month or two. I've got to fly to the UK and then I've got to go to France yeah. as well. So I'm going to swing through and head to the Barassi Bar and turn it on. Would you believe I've still never fucking been there? I mean, we'll fuck, we'll turn it on. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you kicked out of the UAE. <laughs> yeah, mate. The fucking Verastis wouldn't surprise me. I've heard about that. Yeah, like, it's Jesus. fucking loose. But uh, yeah, thanks, mate. Appreciate you, and we'll stay in contact. Thank you for sure, mate. Thanks for having me. Too easy, buddy. Catch ya. Wait, wait, wait. Now, quickly, just before you go, I want to tell you about Three Zeros Coffee. Now, as you know, I like my coffee how I like my men, long and black. <laughs> However, lately, I've moved into the cold brews. I'm loving it, obviously, because the weather here in Australia at the moment is quite hot. So what I've been doing is using the seasoned campaigner pour-over filter bags, literally rip open the packet, put the filter bag over my coffee mug, a few ice cubes, pour in some hot water, let it cool down, add a sugar or two just to make it sweet, and I fucking love them. Honestly, you get the kick that you need out of the caffeine, and the taste is great. So if you want to get yourself a supply of coffee, head over to 30scoffee.com.au. From there, you can choose whatever you want. You've got the beans, you've got the pour-over filter bags, got some merchandise. And just to let you know that a percentage of their sales is forwarded to organizations that support first responders. So while you're getting your coffee, you're doing a good deed by getting some of this money to the first responders and where it needs to go. While you're there, don't forget to use the discount code 3ZLIMITS. Now look in our buyer, you see that discount code, use it. Get your discounts. So again, jump on to 30scoffee.com.au and grab yourself a supply.